Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? Welcome to WGN Radio Theater. Special three-hour presentation. And your hosts, Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa Wolf? Hey, Carl. What's up? Hey, Shante Garth is our producer tonight. It is 1110. We are one hour later than normal. We're starting an hour later because of Hawks. But that's okay. We still have four great hours of classic radio. That's right. In this hour, your great-granduncle, is it? Nero Wolf? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have The Adventures of Nero Wolf with Sidney Greenstreet from 1950. Then our uh, next hour, we'll have Have Gun, Will Travel. After that, it's Dragnet with Jack Webb. And then The Life of Riley. So four classic radio shows, all played uninterrupted. It's going to be a lot of fun. Always. Yeah, we're going to play our game, too, right? Yeah, we're going to be playing a little uh, Guess That Song. Disco? Well, just for you, Carl, yeah. an homage to you, Carl, Right. one last week of disco songs, okay. although right. you kind of failed me last week. I'm sorry. So you have to work harder. So this week, we don't have any prizes, but you can play for the fun of playing. Right. You get, right? To, you get to talk to you us to on the on phone the air with and us. have a lot of fun with us. 312-981-7200. Call now. We're looking for caller number five. Give us a call, and we'll be right back. We got a house from my aunt who had passed away, and it needed quite a bit of work. We gutted the entire house. They put up new walls, everything. The frame was just still standing there. So they've done everything from drywall to windows, flooring, basically a whole new house. We are talking today with mega customer Gina Martinez of Elk Grove Village. We're going to continue work after we move in because my mom, she has a lot of health issues. So um, we're building a ramp for her to get into the house. So they started doing that a couple days ago as well. If people ask for recommendations on like Facebook or something, I always recommend you guys for the past few months because I've had nothing but good experience with it. It's been great. One mega call does it all. 847-658-8989. Megapros.com. One mega call does it all. You're out to dinner, in a meeting, or with friends, and you feel it. Gas, bloating, or abdominal discomfort. Did you know that these could be caused by imbalance of bacteria in your gut? No matter what happens, you need the pro. That's where Align Probiotics come in. Developed by gastroenterologists and backed by over 20 years of research, Align Probiotics contain a strain of live, good bacteria that helps soothe your occasional digestive upsets with continued daily usage. Align puts the pro in probiotics. Learn more at AlignProbiotics.com. The international food selection at Woodman's is more than just salsa and soy sauce. We stock a huge selection of foods and ingredients from all over the world. Whether it's Asian, Latin American, European, or Middle Eastern, Woodman's has it. Plus, each store has its own unique selection. With Woodman's, you don't need to visit multiple stores to get what you need. We have everything you need under one roof and at a great price. 
Join Lisa and me for an exciting Bermuda getaway aboard Oceana Cruises, the world's leading culinary and destination-focused cruise line. Set sail on the reimagined Insignia for seven nights beginning August 1st, 2020. The Insignia features four unique open seating restaurants, a world-class fitness center and spa, eight lounges and bars, and a casino. Call Keen Luxury Travel at 800-856-1155. We'll be hosting a cocktail party, a trivia contest, and auditions to win a starring role in our very own onboard live radio reenactment show. Reserve your stateroom today by contacting Keen Luxury Travel and mention the classic radio cruise. Prices start at just $11.99, which includes gratuities and free Wi-Fi. And you can take advantage of the O-Life Choice promotion where you can choose shore excursions, a beverage package, or onboard credit. Don't wait. Space is limited. Call 800-856-1155. That's 800-856-1155. Or visit WGNRadioTheater.com and click the cruise banner. For news at 10, watch WGN. Micah Mater, Joe Donlin, Dan Roan, and Chicago's most trusted meteorologist. How many syllables is that? What? Meteorologist. Six. Six. Tom Skilling for TV News at 10. Watch Chicago's very own WGN. I don't know how you yes, know that. that song. <laughs> I don't know how you don't know that. How do you, like, have to put <laughs> no, my... No, you don't have to touch your chin. Let's play a little guess that song. Hey, Mike. We've got Mike on the phone. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? All so right, good. How, are you, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Good. I right. figures, I, I figures I'd get through. I, I call all the time, and it figures I'd get through, and there is no prize. <laughs> well, the um, prize tonight, is getting we are to the talk prize. to us. Yes. <laughs> We are Carl's a real prize over here. Yeah. So we're going to have uh, a little, <laughs> a little fun. We're going to still have fun with you, with Mike. disco. Okay. All right. Here we go. Sure. Okay. Terrific. Let's start with the first song. There you go. You know that one. Um, <laughs> is it Suzanne Summers? No, that's from Three's Company. No, uh, no, I, I'm talking about the other su- Summers. The, oh, the, the, oh, Donna oh, Summer. Donna Summer. Yeah, it is Donna it Summer. Is, it's, Donna, it's, it's Donna Summer. It is Donna Summer. <laughs> Donna Summer, not Suzanne Summers. But that was that was right on. Uh, Carl, can you help him? Uh, That's talk, right. Donna talk Summer. stuff, baby. Tonight. <laughs> what is it? We're going to talk stuff. It's hot stuff. Hot stuff. You guys are both like All just right. one word yeah. off. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm dancing right now, Mike. This is from 19... And my button down to my belly button unbuttoned. Yeah. Sure, I remember that stuff. I, I, yeah. I, that was me and you. Maybe you and I were twins back then, Mike. <laughs> this is Donna Summer, not Suzanne Summers, and this is called Hot Stuff, Not Talk Stuff. Right. This is from 1979. This was Donna Summer's Gosh, second. 1979. This was her second number one hit on the Hot 100. Do you know what her first one? It was a disc. Her first number one hit was a disco cover of. I don't know. Do you remember the song MacArthur Park? Oh, yeah, MacArthur Park. Remember? Sure. Someone yeah. left yeah. the cake out in the rain. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's well, hear. Yeah, let's hear song number two. All right, what do you think, Mike? Oh, that's got to be. Um, uh, it's yep. got to be the the the. the uh, <laughs> it's got to be the gang. Yeah, Casey and the Sunshine. Be... That's right, Casey yeah. and the yeah. Sunshine Band, and it's called uh, Do a Little Dance. Make a little love. Get down, get down tonight. tonight. Get down, get down tonight. tonight. Let's hear it. 
1975. Back in the day, Mike and I were at the disco. We were trying to pick up girls <laughs> together. So this song I was... was a... at, I was at 103rd and Kedzie. Were you, at, were you there, too? Probably. I was, I was obliterated, right. usually, right. so back then. <laughs> this song was originally titled, What You Want Is What You Get. Yeah. Uh, before KC uh, changed it to Get Down Tonight. Right. Thank you so much Mike, for calling in, Mike. Go, you did a great job, and we really appreciate calling in. Your prize is getting... You know, so some, hang, with so us. hang with us. <laughs> <laughs> we loved hanging with you hey. tonight. Thanks, buddy. Hey. Have a great night. Love Thanks you. a right, lot. Man. Love All you right. too, buddy. Thank you. All right, Mike's a big. Uh, he's a big winner. That's Even right. He got, to, got to play the game, and he got them both right. He did. We 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 got wow. we got there with a little help. Yes, we did. A little help from our little, friends. Little, I get by that way. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're here Saturday nights, folks, from ele- well, no, 10 no, no. p.m., <laughs> 10 to 3, but uh, tonight, 11 to 3. Right. We've because... got a full five-hour show next Saturday right, night and um, a great four-hour show tonight. All right. Well, uh, we're going to start things off with, uh, you know, last week we played a lot of comedies, so I thought we'd play some dramas and then one comedy at the end. But we're going to start things off with The New Adventures of Nero Wolf. This was a really cool series because Sidney Greenstreet, as we know as Casper Gutman, from the Maltese Falcon. He played the gargantuan gourmet created by Rex Stout, Nero Wolf. He was a detective that he actually operated out of his own brownstone. He never really got out of the house. He would send his uh, his uh, secretary, male secretary, Archie Goodwin, out to do the uh, kind of the gum shoeing, and he would just give him, you know, little tidbits. Well, go here and go there. And he stayed go home. Go see this person. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and he stayed home and he'd eat. Sounds like you. Yeah. Boy, if I could make a living <laughs> just being at home, home and, eating, and just eating. And you're just describing oh, oh, yourself. That would, be, that would be the job right, for me. Right, right. Um, and it was a really great show. It came to radio in 19 19- 1943. At first, it was not Sidney Greenstreet. It was uh, Santos Ortega, l- later Louis Van Ruten. But then in 1950, beginning in 1950, in fact, this broadcast, this is the very first broadcast with Sidney Greenstreet as Nero Wolf, And it's called Stamped for Murder. Let's go back to October 20th, 1950, uninterrupted. Here's the new adventures of Nero Wolf. My boss is the smartest and the stubbornest, the fattest and the laziest, the cleverest and the craziest, the most extravagant detective in the world, Nero Wolf. It's the adventure of Stamped for Murder. With that brilliant, eccentric, private detective, orchid fancier, and gargantuan gourmet, Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Instructions for this morning, Archie. Your notebook, please. First, Mr. Salinsback. Inform him that the Long Island peafowl he sent were most unsatisfactory. Peafowl's breast flesh is not sweet and tender unless it is well protected from all alarms, especially from the air, to prevent nervousness. Long Island is full of airplanes. Look, Mr. Wolf, I... I shall uh... want a dozen chickens that have been raised on bluebirds. 
and a fresh-killed lamb for tomorrow. Uh, Mr. Wolf, please listen. There's... Uh... Mr. Goodwin, be quiet. And then dinner on the following day becomes a problem. Mr. Wolf, dinner any day is going to be a problem if we don't pay Sausenbach's bill. Then pay it. With what? The bank account's empty. Ridiculous. There were $4,000 yesterday. But you bought that shipment of orchid bulbs from wine old Gluckner. Mr. Wolf, we need money. You've got to stop eating and drinking beer long enough to earn some... <laughs> You're an alarmist. Will you, for the love of heaven, stop turning down clients and turn an honest dollar? I've got a couple of prospects right outside the door. Send them away. No, sir. Send them away. Tell them I've gone to Egypt. Nothing doing, sir. Confound you, Archie. Obey order. Send them away. Miss Kent, Mr. Rodman, come in, please. Thank you. Confound you, Archie. You are mutinous. Yes, sir, and you're stuck with it. This is Miss Gloria Kent and Mr. Rodman. They arrived as advertised with a pressing problem. Good morning. You people are here by sufferance only. I shall speak to Mr. Goodwin about it later. Yes, indeed. I don't like pressing problems, Miss Kent. What are yours? My father. Indeed? I'm not a court of domestic relations, Miss Kent. What did your father do? Beat you? Withhold your earnings? Discourage your suitors? Mr. Goodwin should have informed you this office does not undertake cases involving marital or family problems. But that's not... If Mr. Goodwin had not been beguiled by your pretty face... He might have warned you and avoided this embarrassment to you and annoyance to me. Now, 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 take it easy, take it easy. How many times have I told you you don't know how to handle women? Then suppose you let Miss Kent handle me. Well, it's simply this, Mr. Wolfe. I had some money my mother left me. My father's just spent it without my permission. I want it back without a scandal. Thanks, Miss Kent. How much? How spent? Ten thousand dollars. Father bought a treasure map. Indeed, from whom? A pair of swindlers named Cross and Halleck. They've driven him crazy, talking about fortune salvaged from the SS this and the SS that. He, he's got a map and old letters he studies. He, he's childish. Many fortunes have been recovered. Many more await on the sea bottom. How do you know your father has been duped? Well, I know. You do, Mr. Rodman. Yes. Cross and Halleck bought some old letters for me, written by my grandfather from Hawaii. They used them to manufacture the map and evidence. And that's what they sold to Kent. Father thought he was being so clever. He had the paper analyzed. Of course, the document research laboratory said the letters were genuine. They were. But something new had been added. I'd have never known if Mr. Rodman hadn't told me. You're a party to the swindle, Mr. Rodman? I was not. I never knew what they were up to. Mr. Wolf, you've got to help me. I can't do anything with Father. I can't convince him. Even Mr. Rodman can't... No, Miss Kent, I'm sorry. This is not for me. But you must. You must. Not in my office, madam. No tears. Please, please, Archie, stop her. Okay, okay, okay. Archie, when Miss Kent has finished her disgraceful exhibition, show them out. How dare you walk out on us Easy, easy, easy. I know him. I know him. You don't. He gets into a panic when women cry, or else he's curious about what Fritz is cooking for lunch. Now, just uh, wait a minute, please. Oh, aren't you ashamed of yourself walking out like that on that poor kid? That hysterical gamma. <laughs> She's lost all of her money. She needs help. I charge high fees, Archie. So charge a small fee. Do you want her to starve? Good heavens. Starve? How monstrous. I'm not kidding. While you'll be in here smelling your dinner, she and her father will be starving. I thought you were bringing me a paying client. Well, this is different. She's, uh... Beautiful. Archie, you're impossible. Oh, very well. Go back into them. Get names, addresses, facts. I am not committed to Miss Kent's case, but we'll see. 
We attribute IP for your weakness for a pretty face. Rodman and Gloria Kent were gone, however. So all I had were the few facts they'd given me before they met Wolf. I felt guilty about that when he came back into the office and sat down in his specially built chair. He closed his eyes and I glared at him. Well, how much of you is awake? Mr. Wolf. Uh. Well, they disappeared. Did you tell me you were going to help this girl just to get her out of the office or did you mean it? You're a gadfly. No, sir. No, sir. You made a promise and you're stuck with it. What did you get from Rodman? Name, address, occupation. He's a librarian, that's all. Very careless, Archie. You missed a significant point. Such as, uh... How did Rodman discover the letters he sold were being altered by forgery? And used for swindle. How did he locate the dupe, Mr. Kent? Uh, I guess you're right. I'll ask him next time. But, uh, what about now? Are you going to get Gloria's money back? I assume you call Miss Kent Gloria solely in order to annoy me. It does. Stop it. Get Cross and Halleck. On my way. You'll find them at the Hotel Bogart. <laughs> Wrong, sir. According to my notes, their address is... Never mind their address. The Hotel Bogart is the headquarters for successful confidence tricksters. They celebrate their victories there while the money lasts. You will possibly find Cross and Halleck drinking whiskey or lunching. Probably booth. <laughs> I located Cross and Halleck in the hotel bar and lured them back to our place on 35th Street. Wolf was sitting behind his desk with his hands crossed on his impressive middle at peace with his lunch and the world when I ushered them in. He sat bolt upright and scorched me with a look. Good afternoon, Mr. Wolf. The tall one's name is Cross, the short one is Halleck. They uh, want to help me invest my money. Gentlemen, Mr. Nero Wolf. Huh? Who? You're a wolf. What is this? Confound you, Archie. How drunk are they? Not too drunk for business. Let's get out of here. Come on. Wait a minute. You want me to keep him here, Mr. Wolf? Not by violence, Archie. Come back here, gentlemen. Unless you want seven years in the state penitentiary. Unless what? You got nothing on us, Wolf. Nothing. I have the Kent case. The Kent? That's a laugh. We're sitting pretty. Sitting pretty. You are not, sir. You imagine you possess legal immunity. Mr. Kent believes you are a grotesque balderdash and will not sue for fraud. Miss Kent cannot sue because she is reluctant to accuse her father of wrongfully obtaining her money. Ergo, you think you are invulnerable. Now, listen. But you forget me. I'm a detective with a fee to earn. A big fee. Quiet, Archie. I am determined to get that fee. Therefore, as Miss Kent's agent, I can and will bring action against you. I'm indifferent to her tears... Or her father's disgrace. I'm indifferent to anything outside of money. You will return the $10,000 to me at once, sir, or you'll be in jail by morning. You mean that? I do, Mr. Cross. Alec, come here. Come on, hurry. Uh, okay. Here, Mr. Wolf. Alec and I have decided we don't want to get in any trouble with you. Here's your ten grand. Uh, let's have it. Give the dough to Kent, Mr. Wolf. And get the letters and map back for us. You've got a reputation for being tricky, but honest. We trust you. Come on, Alec, let's go. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, how about that? Preposterous. No, sir. Take a look. Ten thousand dollars. Genuine coin of the realm. 
That man Cross is a fool. Does he imagine I'm to be fooled so easily? What do you mean he left the money? He surrendered too quickly, Archie. Too easily. And that money in the envelope he was carrying all ready to refund. Why? Well, maybe he's got a better sucker. I heard him mention a Ben Sanford. Nonsense. Does he need Kent's forged letters and map to cheat this Ben Sanford? Couldn't he prepare another set? Ah, I guess you're right. Something's fishy. In any event, it's no concern of mine, thank heaven. Uh, why not? I'm not committed to Miss Kent in any way. As a favor to you, I undertook to regain her money. I have done that. You may take it back to her and obtain the forged papers in return. But, uh... Silence, Mr. Goodwin. Go to your redhead charmer. Leave me in peace. I intend to spend this afternoon with my new world atlas. <laughs> I left him 3,000 miles up the Amazon with his magnifying glass and drove up to East 69th Street. The Kent house was a broken-down little brownstone, and as I went up the stoop, the door opened and Gloria Kent burst out like a skyrocket. Hey, Miss Kent, easy, easy. Let go of me. Let go. What's wrong? What's wrong? Wrong. Wrong. Nothing is wrong. Nothing at all. Well, how about seeing your father? You want to see my father? Come inside. Oh, for the love of heaven. Come inside, Mr. Goodwin. I'll introduce you. He's in a back room. Come right through the living room. What else came through this living room? A hurricane? No, Mr. Goodwin. Something else. There's my father, Mr. Goodwin. What in the devil? He's dead. His throat's cut. Father, this is Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. He and his boss refused to help while they could. Maybe he can help you now. Stop it. All I'm good for now is revenge. That's all. Stop Archie. it. Stop it and look at me. When did it happen? I don't know. When did you find him? Just now. Keep looking at me. Who went through this house like a hurricane? You? No. Where did you go after you left the office? To the laboratory. What lab? Document research. The, the place that checked the map. How long were you there? Until an hour ago, I was with Mr. Rodman. Keep looking at me. Uh, and then? I had lunch. With Rodman? Alone. And then I came home. All right. All right, now listen to me. I want you to go to Mr. Wolf's uh, house right now. Uh, Have you got cab there? Yes. All right, take a cab. I've got to stay here, but I'll call Mr. Wolf and tell him you're on the way. Now, get. I called Wolf, told him everything, and he instructed me to advise Inspector Kramer who arrived with the homicide squad. I gave the inspector everything while the squad photographed and measured, print-dusted and detected. At 3.30, Kramer took me back to the house on 35th Street for a fight with Wolf. It's a great story, Wolf. Great. Kent buys a phony treasure map. Everybody knows it's phony except Kent. But Cross and Halleck try to buy it back, and Kent gets himself murdered. Did you find the map and letters in the house, Inspector? No, no, I didn't. Killer was after the map. A phony map? Certainly. Why? Well, if we knew that, we would know why Cross and Halleck so willingly paid back the money and why Kent was murdered. Maybe it's not phony. I'd better see the girl now. Oh, you fancy her for the murder? Well, I'll know after I ask a few questions. Tonight. She's had a shock, Mr. Kramer. She needs rest. Look, Wolf, I want her. Why bother with her when there's so much to be done? Yes, such as? Cross and Halleck, find them. And the mystery man they spoke of, Ben Sanford. These are the men you want now, not this poor, overwrought girl. Yeah. All right. The girl will be here for questioning tonight, though, huh? Tonight, Mr. Kramer. Okay. 
You'll hear from me later on. <laughs> well, you buffaloed him out of that, okay. Say, uh, why don't you want her questioned? Is she guilty? I don't know. Well, what did she say when she got here? She said nothing. She never arrived. She never what? She never arrived. Well, then why did you tell Kramer she was resting? Would he have believed the truth? <laughs> she must be found. More important, we must learn why Forge letters and Forge map produces turmoil. Find the killer and you find the map. You said so. I said the reverse, which is an altogether different statement. Archie, I want a photograph of that map. Get it. Oh, sure, sure. Any particular camera you want me to use? You'll find a photograph of 200 Vanderbilt Street. Are you kidding? The lab cannot check the authenticity of old papers without photographing them in ultraviolet light, infrared light, and so on. If this document research lab has examined those papers, they will have photographs. Get them! He got out of his chair and waddled back to the house elevator. It was four o'clock and time for his regular afternoon session with the orchids. I drove down to the document research laboratory on Vanderbilt and got such a shock that I grabbed the office phone and dialed Wolf at once. This is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf, Archie here. What's the matter? Are you lost? No, sir. No, sir, but I found something. Photographs? No, Mr. Wolf, I don't think you'll ever see any photographs of the Kent map. I don't think any were taken. Indeed. But uh, guess who runs the document research laboratory? No, 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 don't guess. You probably know. A man named Ben Sanford, and he's sitting right here looking at me. Bring him home with you. Home? But it's four in the afternoon. This is the sacred hour when you pray over your orchids. And Mr. Sanford can join the ceremony. Hey, how about this place? How about it? There must be a million flowers up here. <laughs> No, not flowers. Orchids only. Mr. Wolf has 10,000 plants. Never saw anything like it. And you never will again, brother. Hey, uh, what, uh, what kind is that on the bench? Oh, that. That's our pride and joy. Odontoglossum harianum. Above them, the Van Pietisirana. And the pink ones are the Silogiani uh, panderatas. Now, the large object, mulching flower pots, is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf, Ben Sanford. Good afternoon, sir. Hi. I came along to be obliging. I've got nothing to say about anything. How much have you offered Cross and Halleck for their treasure map? No comment. Mr. Sanford, I'm going to make some assumptions. I assume that you are not, in fact, a document expert, but an accessory to the fraud of Halleck and Cross. No comment. That you actually prepare fraudulent maps for those swindlers, and then in the guise of an expert, guarantee their authenticity. No comment. But this you must answer. You did guarantee the authenticity of the map and let us can't board its own record. All right, I did. Then will you admit they were forged? What are you, a comic? No. You guarantee the value of the Kent map? Yes. As an expert? Yes. Then you've convicted yourself of murder. What? Murder? What is this? Mr. Kent was murdered, sir. Evidently for the map and let us he bought. But of all persons involved, you alone believe in the value of the map. No one else does. Therefore, you alone would have murdered Ken for the map. For the love of... Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> chew it over, brother. Chew it over. Either way, he's got you. Okay. Okay, you... 
You want me to level? Here it is. Level, Archie? Okay, boss. Thief-type talk. It means tell the truth. It's like you say. The letters were bought from Rodman. I forged the map and evidence onto them. I guaranteed them to Kent. It was a swindle. The letters are without value? Oh, sure. They're old, that's all. From 1851. Just tired family gossip and stuff. Indeed. There we have the problem again, Archie. Mr. Kent is swindled with a map and letters that are known to be worthless. He alone believes the fantasy of the treasure. There isn't any treasure. Never was. Yet Cross and Halleck refunded the swindle money so eagerly. It is obvious they want those worthless documents back badly. Someone else wants them so bad he murders Mr. Kent. Why? I don't know. Ah, gee, we must find the girl. There's a chance he turned to Mr. Rodman for refuge. I'm sorry, you'll have to go there at once. If the girl isn't there, bring Rodman. Yes? Hello, Rodman. Remember me? I'm Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. Oh. Oh, yes, of course. I came to get Gloria Kent. There's been a change in plans. Tell her to come out, please. Gloria? Well, she's not here. Why should she be? Haven't you heard? Heard what? Well, I guess you'd better come down and see Wolf. Uh, Mr. Goodwin, I'm afraid I can't. I'm rather busy. Look, Rodman, maybe you ought to know. Old man Kent was murdered. What? Yes, yes, just after you and Gloria left us. Kent murdered? Well, well, this is awful, Mr. Goodwin. You want to see Mr. Wolf now? Get your hat. Murder? Well, believe me, I never wanted this. I, I'm going to tell Nero Wolf the whole mess. Every word of it. Okay, then. Come on, let's go. Yes, of course. Just a minute. I'll get my hat in the bedroom. Murdered? Can't. I never dreamed. <sighs> come on, Rodman. Come on, Rodman. Come on. What? I didn't hear you. Oh, Rodman. What the... Oh, Rodman. What next? Come on, come on. This is Nero Wolf. Archie here. We've had a tough break. Yes? While I was waiting for Rodman at the front door, he went into the bedroom for his hat. The killer was there. How do you know? He cut Rodman's throat. Terrible. The back window was open. It's the ground floor apartment. He was out and gone before I had a chance. Archie, where were your wits? Let me alone. I've had a man murdered 20 feet from me. You think I'm cheering? Mr. Kramer is here, and he has news for us, Archie. He could not locate Cross and Halleck in their apartment. They had not been home all day. The maid informed him that she was waiting for her weekly salary. Well, so what? She was most angry and peppery, Mr. Kramer informs me. Red pepper? Exactly. Okay. Okay, maybe I know what you mean. I'll try to deliver the goods this time. Goodbye. I drove down to the apartment house on Gramercy Square where Cross and Halleck lived, took the elevator up to the 10th floor, found the right door, and slipped in with a pass key. Come on out. Come out wherever you are. I know you're in here. You fooled Kramer pretending to be the maid, but you didn't fool Wolf. You'd better... Sorry! Archie, Archie, you don't. Archie Goodwin from Nero Wolf's office. Remember me? Let me go. Give me the gun, Gloria. Give it. 
救me. I tried. Who, uh, who did you think I was? Alec. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so Wolf figured you out, huh? Oh, you are a brave girl. They killed your father. You came up here and waited for them. You were going to kill them right back, huh? Oh, that red-headed temper. And you bluffed Kramer into thinking you were the maid. I had to do something. It was the only thing I could think of to come here and kill him. Well, you're coming home with Archie. And just remember one thing. When Wolf's working for you, don't try to do any thinking. It only gets in Wolf's way. I got Gloria Kent back to the house at 7 o'clock. I parked the car, brought her into the office, and got the shock of my life. There was a convention on. Wolf was there with Inspector Kramer representing the cops. Cross, Halleck, and Sanford were there representing the crooks. When Kramer saw Gloria, he scowled first at her and then at Wolf. So it was a slick one after all, Wolf. You didn't have the girl. You had no intention of producing her. Please, Mr. Kramer, that can wait. The other matter's more important. I dine at eight. That leaves me one hour to solve your murders. Murders? More than one? Yes, two. Elmer Rodman. I haven't good one if you... Please, Mr. Kramer, not now. First, Miss Kent. Good evening, Miss Kent. I presume you have met these gentlemen, Cross, Halleck, and Sanford? I... I... Yeah, I'll take your purse, please. Huh? Well, why? I... Uh, don't think me as naive as Mr. Goodwin, Miss. When you left your home after the murder of your father, you took the map and letters with you. They are in your purse well, now. That's true. Archie, the purse. Thank you. We have here an interesting situation. There exists some old letters and map, forged and fraudulent. They're worth $10,000 and more to Cross and Halleck and worth two murders to a killer. Why? There must be something of great value in the letters. Yes, such as? Something which Mr. Sanford could not see, although he worked on the document closely. Yet something which could be made manifest. What is the answer, Miss Kent? You know it? I swear I don't. Secret writing, Archie. Bring the chafing dish from the dining room. Right. Secret writing? I saw nothing when I worked on those letters. Naturally, Mr. Sanford, the writing is invisible. The heat is an agent. It makes most forms of secret writing visible. The chafing dish, boss. Thank you, Archie. Place it before me and light it. Right. Now I open Miss Kent's purse. From it, you see, I withdraw these ancient letters which he took from her house. After her father's murder. That's not true. Archie. That's enough, Gloria. That's enough. From now on, you just listen. We remove the letters from the envelope and toast them gently. The secret ink vintage, 1851, will easily succumb to the agency of heat. Careful. Those envelopes will catch fire. Hey, hey, hey. They're caught. Don't be upset, Mr. Cross, Mr. Halleck. The envelopes. They'll burn safely in the dish. We can concentrate on the writing. Watch closely. I don't want to be accused of trickery. You fat fool. The envelopes are everything. Put them out, Sanford. Don't sit there. Put them out. Why, Mr. Haddock? Well, the stamps, the missionaries, they're worth a fortune. The missionary? Of course. You know that. Mr. Cross knows. So does Mr. Sanford, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, Sanford knows, you old fool. Let me... Uh, Mr. Sanford is not alarmed. Why not, sir? I don't know what you're talking about. Fifty or a hundred thousand dollars is burning before your eyes, Mr. Sanford. Cross and Halleck are burning their fingers, putting out the flaming envelopes. And you sit there quite indifferently. Why? Well, I've... Uh... I, you know the value of the missionary stamps on the letters you bought from Rodman. 
But you know these aren't the real letters. Isn't that it? Not the real letters? I told you I'm tough to crack, Wolf. You didn't fool me with those dummies. Dummies, how do you know? Mr. Cross didn't know. Mr. Haddock didn't know. How did you? Well, I... Uh... I'll tell you, sir. Only one man could know I was framing Miss Kent as a decoy. Only one man could know I prepared these dummy letters and pretended to take them from her purse. And that is the killer. The man who murdered her father and stole the map and letters this morning. You, sir, Mr. Sanford. Well, I'll be... Mr. Kramer, there's your killer. You'll find the missing map and letters on him or concealed in his home or office. You won't need the evidence anyway. Look at his face. He's self-confessed. Self-confessed like fun? He was booby-trapped. No, Mr. Craner. Not a complicated case, really. Very simple. Elmer Rodman sold a packet of old family letters to the swindlers for a small sum. They used the letters to perpetrate their fraud on Miss Kent's father. And the stamps on the letters were valuable? They were a special Hawaiian issue 1851, Miss Kent. Nicknamed missionaries, because missionaries used them for writing home. They are extremely rare stamps worth upward of $25,000 each. Hey, no wonder they were worth two murders. We found five of them on Sanford. Excellent. Somewhere or other, Rodman discovered the value of the stamps after he sold the letters. In his effort to get them back, he communicated his discovery to the swindlers, Cross, Halleck, and Sanford. So that's why they refunded the money so fast. Precisely. In an effort to have the sale rescinded. Rodman sought out Kent and tried to convince him of the fraud. Alas, he would not listen to the truth, Mr. Kramer. Oh, I get it. And while the others were hassling around, Sanford tried to steal a march and quietly resorted to murder. Ah, there you have it. Ha-ha! Great job, boss. Great job. So Gloria not only gets her ten grand back, but uh, five times twenty-five, which is about 125,000 worth of goodies... Now, figuring your rates by the hour, that means you've done a gratis job worth about... Yes, um... Ken. I did not know what I demand a large fee for what I've done. I will not go back on my word. But I can beg for a favor. I'll only be too happy to... Wait, wait, wait. I ask something that will not be easy to grant. What is it? Will you use your red hair, your pretty face, your admirable figure, and your ample fortune to lure Mr. Goodwin away from this house tonight... I would like to enjoy my dinner in peace. <laughs> that won't be difficult, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> Let's have an understanding right now, Gloria. Difficult for you or for me? I'll be delighted. <laughs> Indeed. To spend an evening with Mr. Goodwin, there is only one word for you, Miss Kent. Intrepid. been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's story by Alfred Bester was based on the famous characters created by Rex Stout, produced by Edwin Fadiman, and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Wally Mayer as Archie Goodwin, and Gene Bates, Howard McNair, Jay Novello, Larry Dobkin, Bill Johnstone, and Herb Vigran. Music by Joseph Enos. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Careworn Cup. Don Stanley speaking. The preceding was transcribed. Three chimes mean good times on NBC.
That's the new adventures of Nero Wolf, October 20th, 1950, stamped for murder, starring Sidney Greenstreet. And that was heard on NBC. That was uh, sustained. It didn't have a sponsor yet. Um, this series, this was the absolute first episode in the Sidney Greenstreet series of Nero Wolf. There were other actors that played Nero Wolf, including Francis X. Bushman, uh, Santos Ortega, and Louis Van Ruten on earlier uh, series. But then I think the most famous w- Nero Wolf really was Sidney Greenstreet. He really made the, uh, the radio show his own. Great, great show. Hope you enjoyed that. Hey, you know what, Lisa? We have uh, a brand new website for our listeners. And at that website, they can just download five free classic radio shows. Fibber, McGee, and Molly. We have Suspense. We have Gunsmoke. We have Richard Diamond, Private Detective, and Jack Benny. Yeah, it's a great uh, great array of free radio shows. Yep, five shows. And we did this to thank our listeners. Uh, our listeners uh, are loyal to us. They've been listening to us for over five years here on WGN. Almost five years. Oh, it's not quite five no, years yet? No, it'll be five years in April. Oh, okay. Well, nearly five years, and we want to thank you. So we have five classic radio shows at a site called 100radioshows.com. You go to 100radioshows.com. When you go there, just put your email, and instantly you will be sent five links to five classic radio shows, uninterrupted, the full 30-minute shows. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's a thank you, and it's absolutely free. Now, at that site, there are seven other collections of classic radio, 100 shows in each of those collections. There's a Christmas collection of 100 shows, a drama, a comedy, a mystery, a detective, a westerns, and, and an, all-time, yeah, an all-time favorite. So those are normally, there's a regular price to them that everyone else has to pay. But if you want them, because you're a listener, you can save 70% by using the promo code radio at checkout. Right, Lisa? Yeah, that's our gift to you. Yeah. And it's like kind of a secret. Yeah, it's a, fi- that it's a only five, you know. five free shows plus anyone that is listening to our radio show. Going to give you the promo code. It's radio. So anyone else that's not listening to the show is not going to know the promo code, and they're going to have to pay the regular price. But you get save seventy percent whether you buy one collection, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. Yeah, I would go to the website. It's all there at one hundred radioshows.com. Yeah, but don't forget at checkout use radio and save seventy percent. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. All right, in our next hour, Lisa, we have Have Gun, Will Travel. People remember it primarily as a television western, but it was also a radio show. John Daner played Paladin on radio, and I think it was just as good on radio as it was on television. So you're going to get to hear an episode in our next hour. Thus the uh, classic radio version. (laughs) What's that? That's why we play classic radio, because you have a uh, penchant for the radio versions. I do. All right, hour number three, actually, because we would have started at 10, but uh, so I guess this is like hour three. Um, yeah, yeah. hour three. Okay, I'll let you go with that. <laughs> Even though we've only been on hour, since hour 11. It's hour, hour two. No, it's hour three. Okay. Um, and in this hour, have gun, will travel, good Western adventure, an adult Western. There was a lot of Westerns on radio, but a lot of them were for kids, like Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, Lone Ranger, but Have Gun Will Travel was absolutely an adult Western, very gritty, 
very cool. It started out as a TV show and then moved to radio. Which is very unusual. What have you been watching on TV lately? On TV? Yeah. My favorite show is This Is Us. Oh, yeah. That's the best. This, we're in. uh, I've never watched one episode. No, I know. We're in season four right now. It's starting off. Season four? It's been four? Or three full seasons. Yeah, we're and in the, now. Yeah, it was on a hiatus, and then we'll be finishing season four in a not couple of weeks. One episode of I. Seen yeah, that's that. the best. I love really? that. Really, it's your favorite um, show right now. Yeah, wow. it is. I just finished watching season two of You, which is oh right, um, yeah, with Joe. Remember that? Yeah, show? yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a whole other season that I just finished watching. This My week. daughter Amanda is hooked on that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of binged on that, so right. I enjoyed that. That's kind of a creepy one, right? It He's is. like a it's, serial killer or something. It's like a psychological thriller because mm-hmm. while he is that, you're still sort of rooting. And that's for on him Netflix, somehow. right? Yeah, it's a great yeah, one. That's what I thought. And of course, Monday it's Bachelor Night always. The Bachelor. The Bachelor always. Hey, can I get on that show as a as the Bachelor? Because well, I'm single. Well, that show you have to. Be be under 20 something 26 what about like a geriatric bachelor what you know, about like I an always, aarp version yeah of the i always said there should I'll be like on that bachelor senior for 50 plus i think it like aarp presents the bachelor right you know or uh, Carl Amari 50 production. Plus, 50 plus. 50 plus. <laughs> ba- and I would be the bachelor. You would make an excellent bachelor. I think that would well, be you good. You know, I take that back. You know what you might need to work on as the bachelor? What? Um, Listening? That's that's good. Because I know women like when you listen. Right. And not talking over people. Right. <laughs> I got to try that. Like co-hosts. I'm going to try that. And honestly, though, this is serious. The bachelors all have to be very sensitive and open about their feelings. Oh. <laughs> and I think Forget you might it. miss the mark on Forget that one. Forget <laughs> it. That would not. I wouldn't be a good. Well, maybe on the senior version, you don't have to be like that. Right. You can make your own rules. You You're good at that. You just be kind of like, hey, don't you like to can, make you, can you make me a sandwich? How about that? You know, I, I would I'd be like, hey, I'm hungry. Can you make me a sandwich? A sandwich? A sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm from, you know, can you make me a sandwich? Yeah, I don't know that you're soup, um, cut Because I'm out. not good at making food. You may not so. be cut off for the bachelor, but maybe we'll find something for you. But then I'll be like, oh, but I'll watch TV with you if you want. Yeah, that's not really bachelor. They go on like big adventures. Oh, they go across no. the country they and they like, go skydiving naked. No, things like that. No, no, not on the AARP version oh, okay. of the bachelor. So again, you're changing the, the rules. And then do the women like how many women would there be if I was the bachelor on it the? It starts with twenty some women. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. could you handle it? I think so. It'd <laughs> be fun. And then they they just uh, I Whittle weed down. them out. I give them a rose, and they they're gone. They stay. No. Oh, if you, <laughs> how does it work? If you give them a rose, then they're asked to. So stay. So I would give twenty five roses the first time, and one would be gone. Well, it sometimes it's like the first week there were three three girls out. So why get rid of them so quickly? Well, because you leave just don't feel the connection. While. No, you leave them there. No, the sometimes nice, it takes longer. The respectful thing to do is to choose the ones that you feel that you may have a relationship with. Ultimately, right? I would I would draw it out as There's long a as first I possibly rose. could. I would want to make it. Do you like know about that one? Months and months and months. Do you if know I'm going to be on an island with twenty six. Women, I'm going to make it go as long as possible. That's, that's a lot of people to work on. I don't know. Right. That's and what about the what? There's a first impression rose as well. Really? Somebody you just feel that, you know, strong like, ooh, connection I with. I like her. Here's, I a, like, 
It's yeah. a, is it a different color rose? No, it's red. Red is red. They're always red. <laughs> They're always red. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good show. This would be AARP version I think it of would, The Bachelor. I would watch it. All right. In this hour, Have Gun Will Travel. We're also going to play our game, right? We sure oh, are. Let's play we're, our game. Let's do it. We're going to play Little Guess That Song. And for you, this is our final week of disco. Okay. We are going to be looking for caller number three because this is our three. You can call up right now, 312-981-7200. No prizes tonight. Just uh, having a lot of fun with Carl and Lisa on the phone. <laughs> Give us a call, 312-981-7200. Play the game. We'll be right back. Guess that song. We have Mac on the phone to play the game with us. Hey, Mac. Hey, how you both doing? I'm doing good. Great, Mac. How are you? Oh, great, great. Yeah, I love your show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you called in. I'm glad you were caller number three. And we're going to do a little guess that song. A little more disco, if that's okay, Mac. <laughs> All right, let's play song number one right now. Perfect. Oh, God, if one older knows it. That's it. Oh, my God. God. Well, that's Lou Rawls. I know that, right? No, no. It's, not Lou no. Rawls. no it's not. It's not. 1974. That's that's not Teddy. Nope. Uh, oh God, I could. It's not Lou Rawls. It is it's not. Lou it is. Rawls. It's Barry White. Oh, Barry White. That's Barry White is correct. That's <laughs> correct. I'm telling you, correct. That's Barry right. White. Barry White, and the name of the song is "Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe." Let's hear it. So in addition to this song charting number one, Rolling Stone ranked it 281 on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow. All right. Great disco tune. We've got one more. I think you're going to know this one. Let's hear it. Mm. Do you know that? No, I don't. I mm. thought it was Ring Your Bell. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> Ring My Bell. That is that is it. You got it. Let's hear it. <laughs> this is Anita Ward, Ring My Bell, 1979. Ring My Bell. Ring My Bell. Right? You got yeah, it. Got you knew it. So oh. Billboard magazine included the song on its list of the 50 sexiest songs of all time. Wow. Is that one of the sexiest ones to I you? I think it's really yeah, sexy. It's really, it's I really... like it. I would be playing it for all 26 of the women on my <laughs> island if I had the geriatric uh, bachelor. <laughs> Mac, you knew what you were talking about. You just didn't trust yourself. You got that right. And thank you so much for calling and playing the game. And we appreciate your listening to the show this morning. Okay, then. And take Thanks, care, Mac. Mac. All right. There's that echo, you know? There's yeah, that weird sometimes. echo sometimes. It's uh, it's tough. I don't know what that is. You know, sometimes when a caller calls in, it has nothing to do with the caller. I think it's just something with the AT&T line or something. It's very weird. Yeah. It's like an echo. Yeah, I uh, heard that. Echo chamber. <laughs> All right. Well, Have Gun, Will Travel is uh, up now. We have um, a radio broadcast of... A show that is primarily remembered as a television program. Of course, 
You had the great Richard Boone playing him on TV, and by him I mean Paladin. He was the man called Paladin. And he would, uh, you could hire him. You could hire Paladin to do the dirty work that others wouldn't do. If you had a problem in the Old West and you can afford Paladin, you'd hire him. And he would take care of the problem. I'll tell you that right now. And he would do it in a in a just way. I mean, he was uh, a law-abiding guy. Everybody needs a paladin. You need a paladin. And he uh, lived at the very swank Hotel Carlton in San Francisco. And he dressed in formal attire, ate gourmet food. He frequented the opera. He was quite the ladies' man, this, uh, this paladin. But uh, when you would hire him, he'd dress all in black. And he had a forty-five caliber Colt single action army cavalry revolver model gun. It was a very bad you know what gun. Okay? Don't mess with him. He also had a little derringer that he kept under his belt, just in case uh, he needed a second gun. Uh it came to radio in nineteen fifty-eight. The TV series premiered in 1957, and then the radio series came uh, a year later. John Daner played him on radio, and this is an episode called No Visitors from December 28, 1958. John Daner stars now uninterrupted. Here's Have Gun, Will Travel. You came to me with a torch and a gun. You call it righteousness. Call it by its right name. Murder. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco. 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of the man called Paladin. Come in. Whoa, clean socks, Mr. Paladin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clean socks for a trip, very important. Oh, yes, thank you. Hey, boy, just put them in the bag there. Yes, sir. Oh, 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 bottle of brandy in bag, too. It's for the trip. Very important. Oh, snake bite. Correct. Oh, no snakes in Nevada territory this time of year. Why not? Too cold. Oh, maybe brandy for other purpose, like uh, drinking? <laughs> maybe. Or oh, maybe to give lady named Cleo to uh, make warm? The lady named Cleo has hired me to do a job, that's all. Oh, sure. She wants me to find her husband. Oh, sure. And she's paying me very well. Oh, sure. Hey, boy. You know what you are? No, what I are? Auf den Knödel. Auf den Knödel? Yes. Now, carry this down to the lobby for me. I'm ready to leave the comforts of the Carlton Hotel and head for the wilds of Nevada. Auf den Knödel. Do you see speed laws and other regulations as restrictive? Or do you look upon them as protective? When a police officer writes a summons for traffic violations, do you see him as an enemy or a friend? Your life may depend on your attitudes. Statistics clearly indicate that where laws are obeyed, deaths go down. It's no secret that emotional immaturity is the major factor in our accident rate. 
How else but childish can you describe the notion that breaking a traffic regulation is a way of getting away with something? What could be more infantile than believing one can prove his superiority by ignoring a stoplight? Unfortunately, too many drivers on the road subscribe to that kind of emotional outlook. The result is tragic. Almost 85% of all traffic accidents in America are caused by careless, childish driving. We hope you know our traffic laws and the people who enforce them are there to help save your life. The lady named Cleo, whom I had traveled over a thousand miles to help, turned out to be a fat shrew of 50, and her desperate need of me was to find a husband who had understandably tried to blot out his memory of her with drink. By the time I found him, he'd done pretty well. I figured they deserved each other, so I brought him back, memory and all. But I was left in the middle of the Nevada desert, miles from the railroad. I'd been riding for a full day when I heard a strange sound in the desert stillness. Or at least, a strange sound for that lonesome place. It was a baby's cry. And then I saw the wagon. It sat alone, without horses, forlorn in the sand. No sign of life, except the sound. I dismounted and walked toward the wagon. That wagon. Well, I thought it was deserted. Move away, mister, while you still can. This all right? Now get on your horse and ride on. Are you alone here? That don't matter. A woman can't last out here by herself. Where's your man? Clear out, mister. What's that you've been digging? It don't concern you. Is it a grave? Who's it for? The baby and me. <laughs> Look, I don't know what this is all about, but won't you let me help you? You can't help us none. I can try. You ain't a doctor, are you? No, I'm not. Move on, then. What's wrong with the baby? Typhoid. Typhoid fever. Well, maybe I Hold could have... Fast, mister. I'd just as soon shoot you dead as know you got a killing fever from us. You just can't stay Please, out mister. here. Mister, I ain't got the strength to dig another grave. Has the doctor seen your baby? No. Well, then you can't be sure it's typhoid. Mr. Mulrooney knows. Who? Mulrooney, the wagon master. He knows the symptoms. And he just cut you loose? Left you out here to die? He said it was either the baby and me or the whole wagon train. Are they sending help? What can they do? Well, there's a settlement less than a day's ride from here. We'll hitch my horse to the wagon no. and head up. They won't let us in. The wagon train's there by now. They'll know about the typhoid. They'll never let us in. Not now. Uh, look, there's fresh water and food in my saddlebag. Enough to hold you till I get back. Where are you going? To get help. Mister, you don't have to do this. Let's just say I want to. Pardon me, ma'am. Yes? They said at the store I'd find a doctor at this house. Yes, that's right. Well, my name is Paladin. 
I'd like to speak to the doctor, if I may. You are, Mr. Paladin. You're the doctor? Dr. Phyllis Thackeray. Oh, well, how do you do? Didn't they tell you down at the store? Well, there were some looks. I guess people out here haven't got used to the idea of a woman doctor. Most of them won't even believe I am a doctor. Are you? My diploma's inside, if you care to look. Oh, uh, no, no, I'm not the patient. Who is then? A woman and her baby. What's wrong with them? Uh, the baby might have typhoid fever. Might have? Well, I'm not sure. Where are they? They're lying in a wagon a day's ride from here. I see. It's a long ride. You'll find my horse in the stable. By the time you have him saddled, I'll be ready to go. You're quite a woman. I'm a doctor, Mr. Paladin. Uh, wait a minute. Oh. Looks like a delegation, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, just a minute, you two. I've got something to say. Yes, Mr. Davis? Mr. You didn't tell us those people had typhoid fever. No, I didn't. Who did? I did. My name's Jeremiah Mulrooney. Well, now, Mulrooney. You don't look like a murderer. Why? You sentenced that woman and her baby to die when you left them out in the desert. They're diseased. You've done nothing to help them? Uh, look, mister, typhoid's a terrible thing. It, it's nothing to fool around with. We don't want it here. He that touches pitch shall be defiled forthwith. You've consorted with the disease. The fever is upon you, too. So, uh, you'd better make tracks, mister. Wait. Mr. Davis, he's not even sure it is typhoid. I'm sure. I saw it. You're not qualified to say. And who says she is? Uh, are you going out there with this man, Miss Thackeray? Well, of course, Mr. Davis. I'm a doctor. All right, that's up to you. But once you mix with a fever, you're not welcome back here. And don't try bringing those fever patients back here, either. If we have to bring them back, we will. Look, we got folks to protect, children of our own. And we'll shoot you down if we have to to keep them safe. They mean what they say, Mr. Paladin. So do I. You ready to go? I'm ready. I guess perhaps I wasn't used to the idea of a woman doctor myself, especially one as pretty as Phyllis Thackeray. She rode beside me through the desert, all night, without rest, without complaint. Now it was just after sunrise. Maybe I should have brought something for saddle swords. <laughs> you want to rest? I want to get to that baby. Well, shouldn't be long now. Good. You know, you should be on a velvet settee. Wearing a hoop skirt and fluttering your eyelash over a fan. I tried that. It was too easy. <laughs> is that why you studied medicine? This was hard? Maybe. Something like that. Wasn't it tough enough practicing back east? I guess I'm as much missionary as physician. I was the second woman to graduate from my medical school. Others came after me. It was difficult for all of us, but gradually we're becoming accepted as something better than freaks. Hmm. You're not accepted yet. You just got run out of town. Well, maybe I'm not the missionary I think I am. Or the doctor. Well, we'll see. Here's the wagon up ahead. 
I don't see anybody. Neither do I. Come on. sleeping. I hope that's what it is. Is there anything I can do? Just help me up there. And cross your fingers. Doctor, coffee's ready. Hmm. Smells good. The food will be ready in a minute. Here. Well, thanks. How are they? Well, the mother's suffering from exhaustion, exposure, nerves, no sleep. The baby? Typhoid? Well, maybe. I don't know yet. Mulrooney knows all the symptoms. So do I. High fever, red spots, delirium, and a coma that leads to the crisis. The baby has all of them. Still, it could be something else. But whatever it is, I can't do much for her in this wilderness. You want to take them back to town? Yes. You know what that means? Yes. It's necessary, medically? Yes. I'll hitch the horses to the wagon. Mr. Paladin. Mm Hmm? You don't have to come with me. I wouldn't miss it. There's something about that Mulrooney's face I didn't like. Stop that wagon right there. Don't come no farther. They have guns, Mr. Paladin. I'm going to try to talk some sense into their heads. Here, hold the reins. Stand right there. No closer. Dr. Thackeray has examined the woman and child. The woman has no signs of typhoid. Her child is diseased. The doctor isn't sure the baby has typhoid. I'm sure. That baby needs treatment. Now, Mr. Davis, you're a sensible man. Are you going to let Mulrooney sentence a woman and child to death? We'll bring what you need out here. But you ain't bringing them into town. They'll be completely isolated in the doctor's office. Paladin, they're sick and we can't take the chance. We've got to protect us. They're not as sick as you people. Now, you may be able to keep them out of this settlement. But you'll carry your own sickness with you wherever you go. You'll die again every time you see a baby smile. We've got our own kids to think about. How do your children cry when they're sick? Any different from that baby? Suppose it was your child crying like that. Would you send it to the desert to die? Now listen to me, all of you. I'm driving that wagon to the doctor's office, and don't you try to stop me. If you need a doctor, you know where she'll be. We won't let you do it, Paladin. We won't let you bring disease and pestilence into our midst. I'm afraid they'll use those guns, Mr. Paladin. Get back there with Mrs. Benson. Both of you lie flat. You gonna try it? Go on, get back. Mr. Paladin, are you all right? Fine, fine, we're through. I'll have you in your office in another minute.
CBS Radio will score another goal on New Year's Day as most of these same stations bring you our play-by-play broadcasts of the two year-end football classics, the Orange Bowl and Cotton Bowl games. From the Orange Bowl, CBS News sports experts will call the thrills in the Oklahoma-Syracuse contest. Syracuse will be making its second appearance at the Orange Bowl this year with an 8-to-1 record. Sporting a 9-to-1 record, Oklahoma will make its fourth appearance. There'll be plenty of excitement at the Cotton Bowl, too, where Texas Christian will be battling it out with the Air Force Academy. The Texans have made it with an 8-to-2 this year, and the Air Force Academy is the Cinderella team of college football, with nine wins, no losses, and one tie to date. No matter where you go, no matter what else you're doing on New Year's Day, here's CBS Radio's on-the-spot broadcast of the Orange Bowl and Cotton Bowl games. All through that night, I sat on her porch and kept watch, seeing their torches, hearing the voice of Mulrooney haranguing the townspeople, working them up. But they didn't come. And inside, the doctor worked with her patience. It was after dawn when she came out to me. Still quiet? Mm-hmm. Mulroney is still working on them like a witch doctor. There's breakfast inside. You'd better eat something. I'll stand guard for a while. Thanks. How's Miss Benson? She'll be all right after she gets some rest. And the baby? The fever broke last night. What does that mean? It isn't typhoid. Not typhoid? You sure? Yes. Well, how can you be certain? You've only been with her overnight. You still doubt me, don't you, Mr. Paladin? The symptoms are there. Symptoms can be ambiguous. Now get your breakfast. You need it. All right. Morning, Mr. Paladin. Well, Mrs. Benson... It's nice to see you up and around. I wish I could tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, no. No gratitude before breakfast. Baby's better, huh? Yes, much better. Miss mm. Benson. Hmm? Why does Mulroney hate you so much? Uh, my husband died early on the trip. After a while, Mulrooney wanted me to marry him. Said it was God's will to care for widows. And he was the chosen messenger. I wouldn't let him near me. Then the baby got Mr. sick. Paladin. Come on, Todd. What is it? They're coming. Look. I'll handle them. Go inside with Mrs. Benson. No, maybe I can help. You take care of your patients. You may have some new ones. I want to stay. All right, but stand back. That's far enough, Mulrooney. This torch is the fire of truth and justice, Paladin. We'll burn away the seeds that Clara Benson has spread among us. We'll scourge the disease from our souls and bodies and purify these homes again. The only disease is in you, Mulrooney. Mrs. Benson is well. And the baby is out of danger. Lies! 
In the very face of judgment... Mulroney, I'm giving you 15 seconds to drop that torch and call off those rifles. The flames of the just will banish this scourge. Let the fires rage in the land of... You have 10 seconds. Wait! Listen, all of you. That baby never had typhoid fever. Don't believe her. I saw the child raging with fever, living with rash. That rash was measles! Three-day measles! You're lying. Three-day measles, Mr. Mulrooney. And you left them to die because of it. Mrs. Benson, bring the baby out. No, it's not true. You're trying to humiliate me, to belittle me. You'll see. All of you. The fever is down. The rash has faded. Her eyes are bright. There, look. Look at her, Mulrooney. You can kill people with hate. But not with three-day measles. <laughs> Rooney, three-day measles. <laughs> Stop! Stop it! You can't laugh at me! Stop! Paladin! Rooney, don't be a fool! I'm going to kill you, Paladin. I'm going to laugh at your grave! see. There's no need. I think he's dead. You shoot very straight. Mr. Paladin. What do you want? Mr. Paladin. Well, I, I guess we was wrong to listen to him. He, he seemed to have so much book learning. But he was just setting us against each other. I'm glad we woke up in time. Next time, you better wake up a little sooner. Dr. Thackeray, this town hasn't been too good for you. Maybe you'd like to come along with me. They can always use a good doctor in San Francisco. Oh, please, ma'am. I guess we ain't been very friendly, but we'll make it up to you if you'll forgive us and stay. Well... Dr. Thackeray? Thanks, Mr. Paladin, for your offer. But there are too many of those velvet settees in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I'll stay here where I'm needed. Good afternoon, Mr. Paladin. Good afternoon, hey boy. You get in late last night. Uh, sleep all day. Now up and feeling fine. I do indeed. Boy, you have good time with Lady Cleo. Lady Cleo. Lady will send for you. Mm. You know. Oh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'd forgotten about her. Oh, sure. Uh, I met a lady who was much more charming. A lady doctor. Oh, sure. Yeah. As a matter of fact. I've had a fine case of three-day measles. Oh, yeah, the three-day measles. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's true. Oh, oh. Uh, you got dirty laundry. Uh, you put out tonight. Uh, to coin a phrase, hey, boy. Oh, sure. Gun will travel. 
Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed by Norman McDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Don Brinkley and adapted for radio by John Dunkel. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Vic Perrin, Gene Bates, and Lou Krugman. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel. Very good Western adventure. One of the best, really. I mean, Have Gun, Will Travel, and Gunsmoke, probably the two best adult Western series. And, uh, I mean, Fort Laramie was pretty good, too, but Have Gun, Will Travel, and Gunsmoke, just amazing. Uh, they uh, they were, like, both produced by the same guy, too, uh, Norman McDonald, who uh, was a top producer. He produced Suspense for a while. Uh, this episode was called No Visitors from December 28, 1958. Great cast with, of course, John Daenerys, Paladin, Ben Wright, Virginia Gregg. And Virginia Gregg was the voice of um of on psycho she she was the mom in the oh, movie yeah you know yeah she was like norman yeah. yeah norman get over here norman right yeah that was virginia like greg <laughs> <Sort of>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well she did it better than i just, just did a little. but you know um that's why they paid her the big bucks that's right right and that's why you get the big bucks. that's right and cbs have gun will travel hope you enjoyed that let's take a quick break then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. I like the jingles. I do, too. You know, and we were talking last week when we heard a jingle. I said, hey, Lisa, you should start a jingle company. I should do that. that you know, might jingle be a, all the way, you jingle, should call it. Jingle bells. Call it jing- Lisa's Jingle All the Way. <laughs> what do you think of that idea? I, I, I could do that and for you. And she plays the piano. When you need a jingle, then you have to, you know who to call. Right. If someone needs a jingle out there... <laughs> Call Lisa because she can play the piano. She can sing, and your your company's called Jingle Lisa's Jingle All the Way LLC. Um, I don't think we need the Lisa on there. Lisa's Jingle All the Way. Yeah, I like that. Let's go with that. I'm I'm telling you, can I have ten percent of the company for coming up with the idea? (laughs) Um, Just ten percent. Let's see what you can do for me. I don't know. We'll have to talk. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, about ten years ago, maybe maybe a little less than ten years ago, I produced a radio series. That you were in, Which called one? Fangoria's Dread Time Stories. Yes, remember I, these? I remember it well. And Malcolm McDowell was the host. It was a very cool series. I only produced seventeen of them. Seventeen? Yeah, we did seventeen. Oh, I did wasn't you know in that? all of them. <laughs> no. Well, what is it going to do? Put you in every one of them? Yes. Really? Yes. Why? Why wouldn't you? Well, I did seventeen of them. Okay. And they were like forty-five minutes each. They were really creepy, really scary. Oh, I know. They were for Fangoria. The magazine. ones I was in were good. I don't know about you. The other actually ones. did great in the one. There's one that you did talking we're, in the we're dark. We're drowning. When talking I'm drowning in, in the, the dark. Kids. Yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah, was a great. Very one. creepy. I can. I remember the bathtub scene. Yeah, and the guy who wrote that. Um, that particular episode was Dennis Etchison. And Dennis Etchison is like a three-time world fantasy writer, just incredible writer. And that story 
is so great. And Maybe Kurt sometime Nabig, we could play it. I remember Kurt. Mm, no, yeah. not on Kurt here. Nabig starred in that. I he was him. amazing. Kurt's a fantastic Chicago actor. He's been in a zillion movies. Um, but anyway, I digress. That series, Fangoria's Dread Time Stories, it was so much fun doing it that uh, I'm working, Lisa, on a new project. I can't say what it is yet, but I am going to produce a uh, something similar. A new time radio series, something similar to that. Uh, Malcolm is not going to be the host. Maybe Malcolm will star in an episode or two. I'm gonna, I've got a really great host lined up that I think is going to host it. And um, I can't wait to talk about it on the air. We're very close to putting it all together. And uh, I think our, our classic radio, um, you know, f- people that love classic radio will like this because it's new time radio, but it's done in the flavor right. of the classic radio shows. And it is going to be very scary. It's a yeah. scary radio show. Um, yeah, I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm excited about hearing more about and, it as and the, it And develops. the great thing, too, is there's going to be a comic book with it. So you're going to get you're going to get the radio shows and then you're also going to get a comic book with it that's about the radio shows too. Interesting. Very, I very, I very cool. honestly I don't think I've read comic books since I went to camp. Yeah. Interesting. Oh yeah. Band and, camp? You know, did you go to band no, camp? No, I did not go to band camp. Just overnight camp. Did you go to overnight <laughs> camp? I you know as a kid uh, I'll never forget it kind of scarred me. Yeah, you I did. You did go away? What happened was my mom and Dad put me in um, like Uh-oh. summer camp. You know, I guess they wanted to get rid of me for like a little a day while. Like a camp or an overnight camp? It what was are you speaking overnight, of? but you know. And I remember, I remember waiting in. You know, it, I was lived in Schiller Park at the time, and I was probably ten. And they were going to pick me up at let's say nine o'clock in the morning, and so I was already I had all my stuff. They were going to pick me up and take me. You know, the 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 there was going to be a bus. You know. And I remember being in the window, the big picture window, and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they, they never picked me up. They, <laughs> they didn't pick you up? No. The bus or your parents? The bus. They just never came the bus for you? bus never came Maybe and got me. Maybe your parents me. didn't actually sign you up. So then the next day they got me, but there was a mix-up. There was some kind of a mix-up. Oh, I bet. And I was home all day waiting for, <laughs> waiting the, for that bus to and show I, it up. Sca- it scarred me a little bit. Oh. Yeah, maybe. No, this is like I was gone for a lot. Like, Doesn't it explain the summer. a lot? Like I me? went away for the whole summer, like to summer camp. Right. Yeah. Does this does this explain anything about oh, me? Oh, I think your problems run, run much deeper than the bus. Much deeper than, <laughs> than a bus. Now. Yeah, but yeah. I remember waiting all day in the picture window for that bus to come and get me, yeah. and it never, it never got well, me. Well, it did. It just came the next well, day. Well, it came like 24 hours later. That's okay. Yeah, I'm a little scared over yeah, it. Well, <laughs> move on. <laughs> I, I, I did. I yeah, eventually moved on. But still on. a little upsetting. Well, I, but I remember that when you met, when you said whenever I think of band or right, any kind of a camp, camp, any kind right. of a camp, I remember that being I waiting a, for that bus. I was a big and You know, fan. when you're a kid, you know how long it is when you're waiting. Yeah. And waiting. I remember when um, the Wizard of Oz was on every year. And as a kid, I couldn't wait for it to get. My mom would be like, "Okay, Sunday," and it would be, let's say, Tuesday. Right. Okay, Sunday. Seems like an Wizard eternity. of Oz is going to be on. Right. Well, don't ever do that to a kid. <laughs> don't ever. If the kid is like under fourteen, thirteen, don't do that. I'm pretty sure you're still not too patient when you're because waiting for things. Because if it's Tuesday and the Wizard of Oz is on Wednesday. That's right, torture. That's an it's absolute torture for a kid. Right. Don't do that to a kid. Okay, no, like I'll don't tell that. him until like 
the same day. Like, in two hours, Wizard of Oz is going to be on. Did you know that I got kicked out of camp? You did? I did. It doesn't surprise me. No, I got kicked out, and they said that I can't come back again. Really? Yeah, and they said they were going to tell my parents. They didn't. What were you doing, But I just told my parents that I didn't want to go back again because I couldn't go back. Why did you get kicked out? Well, we'll talk about that when we have another Can't talk about it on the air, I guess. (laughs) No, I could. It's just, you know. I'm sure you could. (laughs) Don't want to, Give us a hint. Don't want to mar Give my you know, perfect image. <laughs> so it had had, a, had something to do with uh, not obeying. Obey? Were you like not? I'm not with, like a dog. Were you I don't not obey. Like obeying the rules. I mean, you know, that were, could be. There were rules. That I don't. Yeah. There was probably a dress the, code. And you didn't want to. No, listen. it's camp. Yeah. Well, don't no. they have a dress code at camp? No. Oh, okay. It's camp. No. No. Well, I, yeah. I need to know what this is. Yeah, we'll I need talk. To, yeah. I'm sure our listeners need to it's know, too. It's a lot too. of fun. In our next hour, Dragnet, Jack Webb stars as Sergeant Joe Friday in The Big Joke from 1953. Oh, you're going to like that. Then in our last hour, Hour 5, Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley from 1944, an early broadcast in the series. So uh, stick around. We have two more classic radio shows. And don't forget, we're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, even though we started an hour late tonight because of Hawks. But we are here for five hours usually. In fact, next week, we will be yeah, here for the definitely. full five hours, right? Yes. All right, stick around because after the news, it's Dragnet right here on the WGN Radio Theater. You know, uh, Dan Jaffe's going to be here not next week, but the week after, and he's going to give away two year-long supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter to two winners. So, folks, if you don't have your photo in of your kitty cat, do that right away. Get your photo in because you could be a winner. You can win a year's supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. That is a great prize. It's the best prize. And what you need to do is send a picture of your cat to catspridephoto at gmail.com. You're mouthing it while I'm speaking right. it. Am Make I? sure to include Why do I do that? I don't know. Is when like I a, talk, you're mouthing is it. Is that like a, like a tick? I don't know. You're a tick. Maybe I have a tick. Maybe you are a tick. Uh, Make sure to include your name, your cat's name, your city, and your state. Do I really mouth it? You really do. (laughs) (laughs) Your lips were going while I was speaking. Why? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't know why I do that. I don't know either. Maybe when I'm on The Bachelor for AARP. I think you're just the making sure that I do it right. Women are the women also fifty plus? Then on the well, island? for sure you okay. can't be no, with I, the I twenty just, year olds. No, I know that. I don't. <laughs> I'm not saying I want that. I'm just saying, are they like a little younger, like forties? I think that would be a little sexist to change the age for men and women. No, they so, all have to be. But the on same. the Bachelor, are they all the same age? Well, the they're all in watching? a certain range of age. Okay. So I think they run from something like 18 to 27, something so like that. If, if there's a producer out there and he creates a bachelor for 50 plus. Or 45 plus, 40 plus, I don't know. 50 plus. Okay, never mind. And 50 plus. I'm, I'm 56, so I'm perfect for that. You so are I perfect. would be the bachelor. Okay. And then there would be girls like, or women, at like 48 to 58. To s- or maybe in their sixties. What's wrong with that? Yeah, right. So I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just guessing. I'm just. Yeah, range. The range. Okay. So they're in the same. But range. you're going to have to learn to emote a bit more if you want to be the bachelor. You're going to have to be open about your feelings and and really speak them and communicate well. My feelings. We'll have to work on that. Feelings. <laughs> Nothing, Nothing more than, more than feelings. feelings. <laughs> Trying to, <laughs> to forget, forget my. my 
Feelings, feelings of, of Love. Is that what right? it is? Feelings of Love. I don't know. It Who sang right. that song? Do you remember? Feelings. Was it like Linda Ronstadt no, or something? No, it's a man, right? It was a man. Isn't it? Barry Manilow. Oh, it's Barry Manilow. Is it Barry Manilow? I think so. Oh, wow. I'm sure our Not listeners will, will pick up on that. In this hour, we have <laughs> Dragnet with Jack Webb. Did he have feelings? Did oh, Jack definitely. Webb have feelings? Definitely. Uh, I can have feelings. I have feelings. Um, 1953, The Big Joke. That's coming up in this hour. But before that, we're going to play our game, Cat's Pride. Guess that song. Yes, we. this is our final disco Aww, song. I like disco. Yeah, I know. This is it. Uh, we are on disco. So um, if you're a disco fan and you'd like to play the game with us, give us a call. 312-981-7200. We're looking for caller number four. Since this is hour four, give us a call. We'll be right back. Guess that song. And we have Joe on the phone to guess that song. Hey, yeah. Joe. Sure. Hey. Hi there. Hi. How are you, Joe? Hey, this is like nostalgia to me. I wanted to hear Dragnet tonight, which, you know, I'm, I'm in, in line for. Yeah, well, you're going to hear it. Well, I go back to Patty Vasquez days. I think I've got four Lou Malnati's pizza to my credit. Oh, oh my goodness. You? Okay. Well, you'll enjoy those. Those are the best for sure. Um, we're going to do a little disco. This is our final disco hour, and our first song is from 1979. Let's hear it. You know, I know that one, Joe? Yeah, yeah, I know it. You're not Joe. <laughs> right. It stumps me right off the bat. 79? I should probably be in that arena. <laughs> Sometimes it's tough. It's a short... What do you think, Carl? Do you know it? Yeah, it's Disco Wonderland. It is. It's Well, it's called Boogie Boogie Wonderland. Oh, Boogie But you're Wonder. right on. It's uh-huh. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Let's hear it. Can you just... Yeah, you got to dance. I mean, there's this, nothing right? like disco. Right. There it is. Boogie Wonderland. There it is. So this song was inspired by the movie Looking for Mr. Goodbye. Oh, wow. Yeah, yep. it was a good movie. Diane Keaton, you remember mm-hmm. that movie? All right, Joe, here we go. Song number two, great tune. Sure. You know that? Wow, I'm I'm just striking out here. Oh, you're, 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 I know as this soon one. as I tell you what it is, no, I know what it is. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Joe. Right. Joe, as soon as you know what, as soon as you hear it, you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself. This is from 1982. Yeah, Carl, who who it's who's Michael singing? Jackson? It is Michael Jackson. Billy Jean. Billy Jean. Let's hear it. Michael Jackson based it on a woman who used to stalk him, writing him letters about a son that she thought was his. Oh. Right? The wow. intro just got to me, I guess. I know. And, you know, it's always tougher on the radio. I feel like when you're home, it's in your bed, I'll call it up, listen to our show. It's really easy. But when you're on the phone, it's a little more pressure. <laughs> but we appreciate you calling in, and we appreciate you listening to the show, and it's great talking to you, Joe. There you go, Joe. Hey, and I'll, talk, I'll solve one problem for you. Yeah. yeah. It used to be the Echo, and Patty always used to be confused by it. She thought it was my calls only, and then it started to progress to the point where she asked her technicians, her engineers, to just thoroughly research it. So you guys apparently haven't solved it yet. No, we haven't. All right, well, that'll be our so, mystery for tonight. But thanks, Joe. 
Appreciate, Appreciate it. you, Bye buddy. Joe. Way to go. All right. Uh, yeah, a little Michael Jackson. Right. There. How could I do Disco Night without some Michael Jackson? And uh, all right. So we were singing uh, a song, Feelings, right? Uh, I think it's Shante has it. Definitely not Barry Madeline. Shante, could it. you play a little of that for us? Feelings. Very slow. <laughs> See, it's, it's a girl. It's not it's a, a girl. It's a girl. It is a girl. Unless he has a very high voice. <laughs> It's a girl. It's right, though. Feelings of love. Feelings of love. Man, this is is an old song. I remember as a kid listening to this song. Right. Right? Like, it's got to be like, I'm going to guess 69, 70. Wait, I can tell you. This is 1976 recording. I don't know. Oh, okay. Trying to forget. She's got a little Shirley accent Bassey. there. Trying to forget <laughs> <laughs> my feeling of love. <laughs> so they got they got like this woman with a hard accent singing this uh, <laughs> feeling. <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> smash you. <laughs> I'm going to beat you up. You sound like the Terminator. <laughs> I'll be back with my feelings. I'm going to you up. I'm going to. Feeling you. <laughs> I'm going to feel you up. <laughs> All right, that, that's good. She's definitely got a very hard, like a very hard accent voice. Who it's is that? Very, Shirley, Shirley Bassey? I don't know. Who very that is. slow. Anyways, yeah. um, I hope you enjoyed disco, and um, we've got a great radio show now Feeling. coming up for you. <laughs> we've got a little uh, drag, <laughs> drag <net> here. <laughs> all right, well, Dragnet was one of the best. That's yep. for sure. One of the best police procedurals of all time. Came to radio in 1949, lasted all the way to 1957. Nine seasons on the radio. And you know, the cool thing about it, Lisa, these were real stories. They were true crime stories from closed cases from the LAPD. And uh, Jack Webb worked a deal out with the uh, Los Angeles Police Department, and they said, hey, let me just use your closed cases. We'll take those. We'll have writers dramatize it, and we'll use them on the radio show. And you know what? He created a real great like uh, working relationship with the LAPD, and they were all about Dragnet, and he was, of course, all about glorifying the police department, which I think is great because the men and women in our police department work so hard to keep us safe. Yes. And this was a this was really uh, his way of saying, "Hey, we appreciate you, uh, police department." And of course, the good guys always won, and the bad guys always went to jail. And he had all the great actors on this show. And then it was into the movies. It was on TV for 16 seasons. Definitely the most successful of the police procedural shows. We have a radio episode for you now from May 10th, 1953. It's called The Big Joke. Jack Webb stars here. Uninterrupted now is Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen. The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. You get a call from a friend who's been offered $5,000 to kill a man. He can't tell you who made the offer. He does tell you that no matter what happens, the man is going to be killed. Your job? Stop it. Stop it. 
Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, February 9th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. I was on my way to the office, and it was 7.45 a.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Back to you, Joe? Yeah. You're in early, aren't you? Yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. Dropped off about 3 this morning, then woke up at 5, couldn't get back to sleep. I got up, made some coffee, and decided to come on in the office. Yeah, I had a little trouble last night, too. You did? I mean, yeah. What's your trouble? I don't know. I got up late yesterday morning. I guess that was it. I'll get it. All right. Homicide Friday. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Johnny. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. When'd you get the letter? Yeah, we'll be right over. Right. Bye. You remember that bartender over in that place on 6th Street, fellow named Johnny? Yeah, is that him on the phone? Yeah, says he's got an offer to make himself a fast $5,000. What for? Somebody wants him to kill a man. Eight ten a.m., Frank and I drove over to John Bronson's apartment. He lived in a new development on Wilshire Boulevard. We checked the nameplates in the lobby of the building, and then we went up to apartment 6B. We rang the bell and waited. Hiya, Joe. Frank, come on in. Oh, hey, John. Let's say, John. Kind of early to get you guys over here, but I got worried about it and figured I'd better talk to you. Uh Uh-huh. You want to tell us what it's all about? Yeah, come on out in the kitchen. I got some coffee made. Okay. Here, sit down there. I'll pour you a cup of coffee. Fine. Good, thanks. Well, it uh, started last night. I guess it was about 10, 10, 15. Payphone in the bar rang. Kept ringing. I went over to answer it. Fell on the other end and asked for Johnny. Yeah. Told him it was mean, and he hit me with a deal. At first, I thought he was kidding. What did he say? Well, he asked me if I wanted to make a fast 5000 Of course, I told him, yeah. Then he sprung the snapper, said he wanted me to kill this guy, a fellow named Wilhelm Ulrich. You know this Ulrich? No, never laid eyes on him. First time I even heard the name. Okay, go ahead, John. Well, this guy on the phone started to lay it out, told me how he wanted it done. Uh, here's your coffee. Thank you. I asked the joker who he was... He said it didn't matter. All that counted, he said, was that I knock off this Ulrich guy. Yeah. I told him I didn't know who the man was, that I didn't know where to get in touch with him to kill him. You know, kind of going along with a gag all this time, thought it was a joke. Uh-huh. Well, this fellow on the phone said he'd give me all the dope I had to have, said I'd get it in the mail this morning. Yeah. Came special delivery just before I called you, special. Uh-huh. You got the letter, have you? Yeah, I got it in the other room. I'll get it for you. All right, I'll go with you. John, how much have you handled the letter? Well, I opened it up. I didn't know what was in it. Mm-hmm. If I'd have known what it was, I wouldn't have touched it at all, but I didn't know. I looked at it when I found out what was in it and figured I'd better call you. Couldn't see any way to tell who sent it. Maybe you can when you see it. Uh-huh. When I saw what it was, I didn't touch it anymore. Uh-huh. Well, let's see here. Money. Yeah, five $100 bills. And what's the letter say? I'm going to put this by the edge here. I'm going to... Uh, this is Johnny. Here's the down payment. You'll get the rest when you finish the job. And the name is Wilhelm Ulrich. The address is 2192 Vine Street, Hollywood. It's written on a typewriter. No signature. That's it. Let me see it, will you? Oh, you can see it here. First off, I thought the whole thing was a joke. I didn't believe it. You know, I just thought it was some drunk trying to be funny. We get calls like that all the time, guys trying to be funny. Yeah. And when I got this letter, I got scared. I ain't going to kill nobody. Especially somebody don't even know, not for no 5000 
Did you recognize the voice on the phone, John? No, I don't think I ever heard it before. You got any idea why he'd call you? No, I've been clean. I haven't got a record. Nothing like that. I run a clean place. Never done anything that could tie me up with the rackets. Yeah, we know. Well, maybe I ran a little booze during Prohibition. Not much, just a little. Everybody was doing it then, but I'm clean now. Joe, there's a postmark here on the letters mailed in Hollywood. Yeah, I saw that. We can check the postal authorities on the mailbox number, find out when it was picked up, huh? Yeah. Time on it here is uh, 11, looks like 11.45 last night. That's yeah. the time. Uh-huh. You sure that you don't know Ulrich, John? Possible that he's been in your bar sometime, maybe, huh? Well, that'd be hard to say. We do a good business. Lots of people come in, I don't know. You know, just come in once in a while. I wouldn't know who they were. They keep quiet, and I ain't getting nosy. Yeah. Well, we're going on back to the office. You'll probably hear from the caller again, Johnny, and as soon as you do, you let us know, will you? Are you going to see this Ulrich fellow? Yeah, we'll talk to him. Might be better if you don't say anything about this to anybody, John. Oh, don't worry. I won't. Okay, we'll be talking to you later. You'll be at the bar? Yeah, I'll be there at four. Okay, thanks a million. No strain. Glad to do it. Can't get over it, that guy calling, making an offer like that. I just can't get over it. He should know better than that. Yeah? Sure, yeah, I don't know. Somebody ain't going to kill somebody they don't even know. We drove back to the city hall and turned the letter over to the crime lab to see if they could find any physical evidence to help us identify the writer. We ran the name Wilhelm Ulrich through R&I and we found no record. A further check on the name and we came up with one possibility. The address listed on the report was the same as the one given in the letter. We pulled the package and checked it. Let's take a look at it. All right. Now, let's see. There's a crime report and a statement here. Report from Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Well, what's the date on that? January 2nd last year. Yeah. Well, it seems this already got a hold of some poison wine. Wine. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah? You remember, Joe? He was an old guy. Uh, he was a German. He got a bottle of wine for Christmas and opened it New Year's Day. We worked that case with Lamonica and Galindo. Oh, sure, I remember now, yeah. We ran down some of the leads for him. They didn't go anywhere. Yeah. That was the one where he didn't know where the wine came from, innit? Yeah. Nothing came from but the leads didn't go anyplace. As I remember, he's a nice old guy. I wonder why somebody's after him. I don't know. Last time, we couldn't find anybody with a motive. Well, there's one someplace. We'd helped investigate an attempted poisoning of Wilhelm Ulrich over a year ago. Somebody'd sent him a bottle of imported wine. Ulrich had opened the wine for dinner on New Year's and had drunk some of it. A short time later, he was seized with violent stomach cramps. He was rushed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital for treatment. He was then transferred to the county hospital for further treatment. Examination of the remaining wine showed that it had been dosed with a quantity of poison. Fortunately, Ulrich didn't drink much of the poison wine and he recovered. Detectives Joe LaMonica and Danny Galindo had handled most of the investigation. We'd helped them briefly in checking out some of the leads that they'd gotten. We checked with them again on the case. From the crime report, we got a list of the people that the two officers had interviewed. We checked with them, and they gave us as much personal information as they could. 1.15 p.m. We drove out to see Wilhelm Ulrich. We found him in the yard digging in a rose bed. No, I can't understand it. I never quite believed that about the wine, sir. Why do you say that, Ulrich? Well, I found it hard to believe in my heart that anyone would want to do me harm. I have no enemies. No one that hates me enough to want to kill me, I'm sure of that. Well, I'm afraid you could be wrong about that, Ulrich. The officer said that before. Somehow, though, I just can't believe it. I have nothing anyone would want to kill me for. All of the people I know are my friends. We all got along. Yes, sir. Look at that. Isn't that a beautiful rose? Such loveliness. Mm Mm-hmm. No, 
I'm sorry, officers, you're mistaken about this. I wonder if we could talk to you in the house, sir. Yes, that might be better. I could make you a cup of hot tea if you'd like. No, sir, thanks. Just the same. Have you officers had lunch yet? Yes, sir, thank you. Oh, I thought maybe you'd like a sandwich. Just got some liverwurst from a little place downtown. German, excellent food. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll get the door. Just sit down any place. I have to get the dirt off my shoes. Marta would be very angry if I tracked dirt around. Marta, that's your daughter, isn't it? Yes. She comes over every couple of days and straightens up the house for me. Wonderful girl, Marta. I don't know what I'd do without her. Yes, sir. Now, there's a couple of things we'd like to ask you. Certainly. Anything I can do to help. Well, we'd like to go over the information on the report here. Is that from the last time? The time of the wine? Yes, sir. That's right. All right. You just ask anything you want. I've got nothing to hide. All right, sir. We checked the crime report you filled out last year. Now, has anything changed in your family since then? Uh, no. You gentlemen still working on that? Well, yes, sir. We have another matter to discuss here. Oh, uh, there's one thing that has changed. What's that, sir? The part here about uh, me running the business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's changed. I still run it in a way. I still supervise it. But Robert, he actually runs it. Uh, Robert, you mean this name here, Robert Davis? Yes, he's my son-in-law, Marta's husband. He takes care of the business now. He's a good boy. Marta's lucky to have him. How long has your son-in-law been running the business, Mr. Alric? Well, let me see. It's been about eight, nine months. He took over right after I got out of the hospital. He's done wonders with it. Wonders. How's that, sir? Modernized it. Changed it all around. Had one of those efficiency experts come in and study the people. Time and motion men, I think they call them. Mm -hmm. They come in with a stopwatch and look at the people doing the work and figure out how long it should take them to do a certain job, and then they plan how the job can be done faster and cheaper. Wonderful thing. Big changes. Yes, sir. I don't want you to take offense at this, Ulrich, but how are the relations between you and your son-in-law? I don't think I understand. Well, you get along. Do you have any quarrels, disagreements? Oh, no, Robert, and I never disagree. I found out that it didn't pay to argue with him. Sir? I found out that it didn't pay. He was always right. Uh-huh. Yes, you see, we had a few arguments when he took over the business about this time and motion study thing. I see. You want to tell us about these arguments? There weren't anything serious. I didn't think that it was a good idea to change. I couldn't see any reason for it. Everything was going good. The business was making money. Everybody seemed to be happy. I didn't want to take a chance disturbing a good thing. You know, the golden goose. Mm-hmm. You want to go ahead, please? Well, Robert said that we were behind the times, that if we didn't do something about it, we wouldn't be able to compete with other people. We manufacture women's dresses, you know. Yes, sir, I saw that on the report. I finally told him to go ahead. I thought that he'd fail. He didn't. Now we compete. More dresses, more money. The employees are happy. They have music, coffee times. They like it. But it's all changed. I don't go down there anymore. I don't care much for it. It's changed. So I just stay home and work in the garden. It's Robert's factory now. Uh, you and Robert haven't had any other disagreements, have you? Oh, no. He's a fine young man running the business very well. He's a good boy. I'm lucky to have him. Well, how about your competitors, Mr. Elroy? How do they feel about this change in the way you operate your business? They resent it? Oh, no, I haven't really got any competitors. The big manufacturers don't care. I don't make enough dresses to bother them. And the other little men are in the same boat with me. They're too busy running the factories to worry about me. Mm-hmm. Now, can you think of anybody who might want to do a thing like this? How about that phone call? I told you before, I can't. I find it very hard to believe. Well, we'll have to talk to the people that you know, the people around you. We'd appreciate it if you didn't tell anybody what we were after. If you wanted that way, it's so hard to believe. I still think you're wrong. Looks like it's going to rain. Be good for the flowers. It's been dry up in the valley. Farmers need the rain. Yes, sir. Now, you'll go along with us on this thing, will you? Not tell anybody about it? Sure, I'll help. It's all right if I tell my daughter and son-in-law about it, isn't it? Well, it'd be better if you didn't say anything to him or your daughter, not to anybody. But they're going to see you here. They're going to ask questions. They're not stupid. Yes, sir. You could tell them that we were asking about somebody that you employ. How'll that be? 
What do I say if Robert asks what's about? I, I have no secrets for him. Well, tell him we ask you not to tell anybody about it. Tell him it's police business. It happens all the time. I suppose I could do that, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's lying. Yes, sir, that may be true, but it's the best way. Oh, I guess it's a small lie. I can't tell myself that. It's a small lie. I will have some policemen come out and watch Mr. Ulrich until we find the person who's doing this. Do you have to do that? Yes, sir, I'm afraid so. Well, no, I, I don't like that at all. Even worse than the lying. No, no, I don't like it at all. Mr. Ulrich, I wonder if you really understand that when we ask you not to tell anybody about this, when we want to keep you under surveillance, it's just for your protection. But if what you say is true, if somebody really does want to kill me, if somebody hates me that much... Yes, sir. Can you stop them? We called the office and had a team of men sent out to keep Wilhelm Ulrich under surveillance. His house and his person were to be watched 24 hours a day until we apprehended the person or persons who wanted him killed. We spent the rest of the afternoon talking to the people in the neighborhood. From all of them, we got the same story. Ulrich was liked and respected through the area. All of the local shopkeepers and their business associates told us that he paid cash for everything he bought and that his credit was good. He was active in the local flower club and had twice in the past served as president of the organization. The neighbors confirmed what Ulrich had told us about his family. His son-in-law and his daughter seemed to be devoted to the elderly man and were constantly trying to get him to sell the house he lived in and come to live with them. 6.42 p.m., we returned to the office. Man, it's really coming down, huh? Yeah, it sure is. You got a raincoat in your locker? Yeah, I got one of those plastic kind in the bag. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get me one of them. I'll get mine. We'll go over and check the son-in-law. You got his address? Yeah, it's a place out on Ivar. Sure was a nice old man, huh? Yeah, he seems to be. So you want to grab my coat? I'll get the phone. Yeah, I'll get it. Thank you. Homicide Friday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, John. When? Yeah. No, we'll be right over. Right away. You bet. Frank. Yeah? Call from the bartender, Johnny. Yeah? Says he just got another phone call. Person told him that he'd gotten the down payment for the job, and he wanted to know why Ulrich hadn't been killed. Yeah. Guy said if Johnny didn't get on it, the money wouldn't do him any good. Told him to make up his own mind. Uh -huh. Either he makes good on the job or they'll kill him. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Seven ten p.m. We got to the bar on 6th Street. There were only a couple of people in the place. The bartender, Johnny, told us of the phone call that he'd received. He said that the person on the phone had told him that if he didn't hurry up and kill Ulrich, Johnny himself would be taken care of. We called Lee Jones at the crime lab to ask him if he'd been able to come up with anything on the letter. He told us that there was no way of tracing it. Fingerprints found on the letter were those of the bartender. Photographs were taken of the letter, and along with the money, it was booked for further evidence. We'd gotten in touch with the postal authorities, and they said that they'd give us assistance. They gave us the location of the box where the letter had been mailed, and they said they'd try to find out who sent it. We arranged for a stakeout on the bar, and then we called the men at Ulrich's home. They told us that the son-in-law, Davis, and Ulrich's daughter had been there, but that no one else had seen or spoken to the elderly man. 9.32 p.m., Frank and I drove out to check on Robert Davis. We got to the apartment house and rang the bell to the manager's room. Yes? Miss Franklin? Yes, what is it? Police officers, ma'am. We'd like to talk to you if we could. Oh, well, I suppose it's all right. Come on in. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much, ma'am. This is my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. What is it you want to see me about? Oh, we'd like to talk to you about one of your tenants, please. Oh? 
Which one? I bet I can guess. Ma'am? It's about that couple on the fifth floor, isn't it? The Radcliffe's. It's them, isn't it? No, ma'am, it isn't. We'd like to talk to you about a Robert Davis and his wife. The Davises? Yes, ma'am. Why? Never thought it. Should be the Radcliffe's the way they carry on. The Davises. Why, I'd never thought it. What do you want to know about them? Well, it's just a routine investigation, ma'am. Can you tell us how long they lived here? Well, see now. It's been almost six years. They've been in the building, yeah. Yeah, six years, anyway. I happen to always live in the same apartment, though. Ma'am? When they moved in, they was in a little apartment on the second floor, living room, a pull-down bed, little bitty place. And then they moved up to the sixth floor, two-bedroom, nice place. Nice people. The Davises, oh, I'd never thought it. Do they have any close friends in the building, would you know? Well, not Mr. Davies. He's kind of the quiet type. Never has much to do with anybody he keeps to himself. Mm-hmm. Now, Mrs. Davis, that's a different thing. She's a living doll. She's nice to everybody and so sweet. Never had a harsh word for anybody. Always a smile. I think Mr. Davis thinks he's too good for anybody. Always seemed kind of snooty. Yes, ma'am. Do you ever have any arguments with anybody in the building that you might know of? Well, he's had a few arguments like everybody else does. Like I said before, he thinks he's too good for anybody. He thinks he's better than anybody. He's got no right to either. Ma'am? Why, well, he owes half the people in the neighborhood money. Way behind his bills, owes me a couple of months' rent. Never seems to be able to pay anybody he owes. I talked to the milkman, owes him for a month back. Every time he asks for his money, Davis tells him to come back and stop hounding him. Can't understand it. Seemed like such nice people when they moved in. Uh, two years ago, that's when the trouble started. Uh-huh. It was our understanding that he had a pretty good job. And he has. Uh, works for his father-in-law, manages some kind of a factory. Addresses, I think. Oh, but that isn't it. He makes enough money. He just spends it faster than he makes it, that's all. I think he gambles. Why do you say that, ma'am? Oh, he's always going off on some kind of business trip. At least that's what he says it is, but I know different. Yes, how's that, ma'am? Well, he'd come back from one of those business trips once. Cab pulled up, and uh, it just happened that I was standing out in front. A driver got out and gave him the bill for the cab all the way from the airport. Almost six dollars. Well, anyway... When Mr. Davis got the money out of his pocket to pay the cab bill, a chip fell on the sidewalk. He didn't think that I saw it, but I did. The cab driver did, too. Well, what kind of a chip was it, ma'am? Well, you understand I'm not a gambling woman, so I wouldn't know. But the cab driver, he knew. Oh, you just betcha he knew right away. He picked up the chip and handed it back to Mr. Davis and said something about being in Las Vegas, kind of kidding, you know. Yes, ma'am. Well, I've seen Mr. Davis get upset, but never like that. He grabbed the chip away from the cab driver and told him to mind his own business. Said that he'd had a chip a long time, that it didn't concern the cab driver. He was real mean. Uh-huh. And then at night, well, the argument that he and the missus had, I never in all my days heard anything like that. Well, what happened, ma'am? Well, uh, you understand that I just happened to be in the hall. I was making sure that the lights on the floor were all on. Those bulbs are always burning out, and I was checking them, you know. Yes, ma'am. Well, anyways, I hear this argument coming from the Davis's apartment. Mrs. Davis is telling how she isn't going to stand for it anymore. Mr. Davis better settle down and get to work and stop this foolishness. She didn't come right out and say what foolishness, but I could tell. I could tell. It was his gambling, that's what it was. Yes, ma'am. Is there anything else that you could think of that you could tell us about the Davises? Uh, No. 
I don't think so. I'm kind of surprised, though. I don't like him, but I never thought that he'd have the police after him. Well, we're just conducting a routine investigation, Miss Franklin. Oh, now, you don't have to play cagey with me. I know about you, policeman. You and your routine investigations, you ain't fooling me. You want him for something. Now, what is it? Can you tell me? Ma'am, it's just police business, just routine. We'd appreciate it if you didn't say anything to anybody about us being here. Oh, sure. I'll go along with you. I won't tell a soul, not a living soul. Thank you very much, Miss Franklin. I'm going to leave you our card. We'd appreciate it if you give us a call if anything comes up. Uh huh. Um, Michigan 5211, is that right? Yes, ma'am. You just ask for the homicide division. It's written oh, down. All right. Home, you just bet I will. Now, I'd be glad to help. I'm just glad to. All right, fine. Uh, one thing, though. Yes, ma'am. Are you sure there ain't nothing that you want those people on the fifth floor for? The Radcliffe's? From the manager's office, we called the Ulrich home. We talked to Mr. Ulrich. He told us about the visit that afternoon from the Davises. He said that he hadn't told Robert Davis anything about the threats on his life. We went upstairs and talked to Davis. We told him that we had a serious matter to discuss with him, and we asked him to accompany us down to the city hall. I don't know what you're talking about. I told the police everything I know about this a year ago. I don't know anything about it. I I could help, but I can't. You know, this got me worried. Well, if you haven't done anything wrong, you got nothing to worry about. I haven't done anything wrong. In here. Mm. Go ahead. Mm. All right. Now tell me what this is all about. Frank? Yeah. You want to check the office, see if we got any answers to the calls this afternoon? Right. You got a cigarette? Yeah. Help yourself. Well, let's get to it, huh? I gotta get home, get some sleep. I got a rough day tomorrow. This won't take very long. How do you get along with your father-in-law? All right, why? Like to know? Well, let's see how that concerns you, but you ask, so I'll tell you. We get along fine, me and the old man. We get along just great. Does that make you happy? That's not the point. Anything? No, nothing new. You go over to Las Vegas much, Davis? Not much. Why? How often would you say you went over there? Maybe a couple times a year, not any more than that. When was the last time? What's so important about when I was in Vegas last? You guys spent a little more time finding out who's trying to kill my father-in-law. Less time asking questions that don't make any sense. You'd be doing a better job. What can you tell us about somebody trying to kill your father-in-law? All I know is what he told me this afternoon. What did he tell you? Not much. Said something about a bartender, something about a phone call. Did he tell you who the bartender was? No, just that it was someplace over on 6th. All right, Davis, come off it, huh? What do you mean, come off it? You want to tell us why you did it, or do you want us to tell you? Did what? I got nothing to tell you. I don't know what you guys are talking about. We talked to your father-in-law this morning. We told him that we'd gotten a report that his life had been threatened. We didn't tell him how it happened. We didn't tell him where our information came from, so he didn't know. All right, so maybe I got it someplace else. Oh, wait a minute. You couldn't have. We didn't talk to anybody else. Well, I heard it someplace. I don't remember, but I heard it. We checked around, found out you gamble quite a lot. You're a steady loser. You owe a lot of money in town, don't you? They're right. Yeah, that's right. I think we can make you for the threat on Ulrich's life. I don't think we'll have any trouble at all. You had the motive. You had the opportunity. First thing in the morning, we'll check with the factory. We'll see if you made a withdrawal of $500. We make that, and you've got big trouble. You figure you're going to be able to do that? We think so, yeah. We'll get your father-in-law down here and ask him what he told you this afternoon. Find out if he did tell you about that bartender, about the bar on 6th, about the phone call. You know, it doesn't look like there's going to be too much trouble making you for this. Save your time. What do you mean? You don't have to go through that thrash. I did it. I tried to have the old man knocked off. Were you the one who sent him the wine last year? Yeah. That's when it started. I started to gamble. Lost a lot of money. Couldn't pay it back. No way to pay it back. Guys I owed the money to were leaning on me. I had to pay them off. Had to. Yeah. 
I can only think of one way, get rid of the old man. Didn't you get a pretty good salary out of working for him? Yeah, pretty good, but it didn't go far, not far enough. I tried to win it back, make good on the losses I had. I couldn't do it. The more I gambled, the worse it got. I just couldn't do it. There wasn't any other way. No other way. I decided to kill the old man. It's the only way. Can't you see that? It's the only way I could get clear. Yeah. I figured if I could get rid of the old man, I'd have everything fixed. Everything would be okay. I guess it worked out all right anyway. What do you mean? Well, there's nothing in the book they can throw at me. He's still alive. I didn't kill him. Who got hurt? You did. Well, how do you figure? I didn't kill him. You're going to jail for trying. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 18th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Robert Walter Davis was tried and convicted of attempted homicide. He received sentence as prescribed by law. Attempted homicide is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than 20 years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Perrin. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Martin and Lewis show Tuesday on this same NBC station. Tonight, it's Adventure with Barry Craig on NBC. It doesn't really get better than that. If you want a police detective procedural drama, Dragnet. Dragnet was the best of the best, and uh, longevity sometimes proves that. It was on the air for many, many years, nine seasons on radio, 17 seasons on television, re- plus many movies. I remember it on television do in you? the 60s. Yeah. I do. I remember watching... I don't remember if I ever watched the black and white versions. I mean, I've seen them now on DVD and things. But I, I remember watching it as a kid in color. I remember watching it on TV. Yes. But I remember always thinking, oh, this is a cool show because yeah. it was true, you know. And I and as a kid, you know, as a boy, I wanted to be a policeman, right? Did and, you? Yeah. You know, and they would have the badge. You know, they'd show the badge. I was like, ooh, I want a badge. Yeah, well. You know? I want, <laughs> well, I want you know. to be a policeman. <laughs> you keep working at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I never became a policeman. No, Lisa, but no. you did something better. Maybe I could be a police, still be a policeman. Mm. No, they wouldn't take me now. You know, the police academy is quite a uh, competitive physical thing to uh, Well, physically graduate. I can do it. Oh, okay. I just don't know if I can. <laughs> okay. I, I'll tell you what, it takes 
a lot of bravery to be a it policeman. It sure does. Uh, you, ha- I mean, these these oh. men and women put the, their lives on the line I, every single, I, especially I here in you. Chicago, very dangerous yes. city. And these police officers and all of the, you know, all of our uh, cities, all in Illinois, of course, they all deserve the same respect. And I always respect the police, the police and fire departments because they they really are out there putting their life on the line for us. Yeah, you know, we can't forget that. And uh, Dragnet was was really an homage to the to the police. And when Jack Webb passed away. The um, LAPD, they did a whole ceremony about him, and they and they flew the flags at, at half-staff. And, you know, I mean, they, they really had this camaraderie between Jack Webb and, and the police. Yeah. Great series. Hope you enjoy that. That was The Big Joke from May 10th, 1953, Jack Webb, starring. Originally, that was sponsored by Chesterfield and Fatima Cigarettes. We can't run cigarette commercials, so we deleted those. George Fenneman doing the announcing on there. Uh, along with uh, Hal Gibney, two announcers, and a great show. Hope you liked Dragnet. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. I love Woodman's, Lisa. I know you do. You I like the big cards. I love Woodman's. <laughs> They're so great. You save so much money when you shop there. Well, that's there. the best part. You shave. You, you shave. shave. You, you shave. shave. Yeah, you do shave. Do I need to shave? Yes, you need your chinny chin chin. You save so much money when you shop at Woodman's and you get great food and they have the biggest carts. And you like the big carts. I love the big carts. Woodman's is great. They're all over the place. Yeah. Check them out. Woodman's, we love you. <laughs> well, uh, then maybe they yeah. could go on the Bachelor with you. <laughs> they could. They could be. They could be on the Bachelor with me. Yeah, I like this. The AARP version of the Bachelor. I I, I think you should maybe give it a gentler name, like maybe the Bachelor Senior, something yeah. like that. Bachelor Senior, fifty plus. Right, that's a Senior s- Bachelor. Yeah, the Senior Bachelor. First season. I honestly Carl think Amari that if there was the a bachelor, bachelor for fifty plus people would watch it. I would watch it. I, I'm on it, <laughs> so I hope you would watch it since I'm the bachelor. Okay. All right, and can... I'm sure I'd find a woman out of those twenty six women on there. Um, what do you think? What'd you be know, my biggest? Would be my biggest hurdle? What's the biggest problem? There, I, why I don't can't even I know ever, where to begin. Why don't I ever? <laughs> <laughs> I think that. Um, uh. All the drama is not good for you. Yeah, drama. I don't drama, like drama is not good for you. No. You seem to find it wherever you go. I don't like drama. Drama is not good. No. I like to be like chill. Right. I like to be well, chill you out. Keep working on that. All right. You know what? Next week, we're going <laughs> to chill out with You Bet Your Life and uh, yeah, and some other great stuff. We have one of my favorite shows, You Bet Your Life. Next I week. love that show. And you know what we have in our next hour? I sure do. The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Can't miss that. I won't miss That's it. That's hour five. You're living the life of Riley, Carl. I know. I'm, I'm going to do this bachelor thing, I think. I think somebody should, should do this. I got to hand out roses to everyone. Not to everyone. Yeah. And then the last girl, does she? what does she get? She gets a rose and mm. your undying love. And then do I have to marry her? No, but okay. you might want to. Maybe. You never know. Right. Hour five of the WGN Radio Theater. I love doing the five straight hours, even though we started a little later tonight. You mean having the radio shows uninterrupted? Because well, we always do no, five straight too. hours. No, what I'm saying is, no, I'm saying I love our new time slot. Oh. Saturday nights, 
from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. It's so great to just be on for five straight hours, even though, as I said, we started a little later tonight because of Hawks. But like next week, we're on the full five hours. We'll be able to play five half-hour classic radio shows for you uninterrupted. It's going to be a blast. Here, here's the problem, though. What's the problem? You see a problem with I this? I see a problem. I don't know you how you... got a problem? You got a problem. I don't know how we you get through Sunday nights without me. What do you mean? I mean, I don't see you on Sunday nights anymore. Oh, Is that a let problem? let me tell you something, Lisa. <laughs> My Sundays are so great now. Really? Yeah, because... I, you know, it's like we did our five hours and I feel good about it. You know, we did the Saturday five hour show and then Sundays, I don't know what to do with myself actually That's on Sundays. That's what I'm saying. But I, I catch up on like my DVR stuff. You know, I watch a lot of TV <laughs> I, on I Sunday. I think you're home miserable missing me and the radio I am, station. I am usually alone. <laughs> <laughs> on Sundays. I am usually alone, and I do think about the show. Well, I usually just drive down here and hang out. Oh, you just hang? Mm-hmm. Like next like next Saturday, okay, we're going to start at uh, 10 o'clock. Right. And we have You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. Then we'll have Whitehall 1212, which is a true crime story show. Then we have The Lives of Harry Lime with Orson Welles. Then Father Knows Best with Robert Young. And then Gunsmoke. And, and every show is going to be uninterrupted. Right. And I'm a, I don't know about you, I'm a huge fan of You Bet Your Life. And I know I we know. have a lot of listeners that have been asking for that. So this is for all of you. You know, I like all five shows we're going to air next week. Well, that's funny because <laughs> you probably had a You know, there are there are hand. some classic radio shows that I'm like, Neh. I mean, you know, they're kind of like. Well, I like to choose the ones that you like. I yeah. know what you like, Carl. Sure you do, Lisa. I do, Carl. Well. We got to play your grandfather, a great grand nephew, or Nero what was it? Wolf, Nero you're Wolf about? earlier today. That's my that great was, grand uncle. Yeah, whatever the lineage is. <laughs> and um, but uh, but he has an e at the end. What he happened? Does. They dropped it at Ellis Island. Uh, he or just what? does it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know what? In just a few minutes, we will be tuning in to the life of Riley. But I do want to remind all of our listeners about this great new website that we have, where you can log on and digitally download five classic radio shows. All um, the shows are digitally remastered. They're full-length shows, 30 minutes each. You have Fibber, McGee, and Molly. You have Suspense with Gregory Peck. Ooh, a good one. You have um, you have Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke, right? You have Richard Diamond, Private Detective, and Jack Benny. Oh, yeah. Five classic radio shows. And the reason why we did this, folks, because we want to thank you for being a listener to our program. We want to thank you for listening to our show. Our ratings are great, and we want to thank you and thank you. So we thought, let's do a website where we not only give our listeners five classic radio shows, but then we give them hundreds of shows to purchase where everybody else has to pay full price. But our listeners get to use the promo code RADIO at checkout and save 70%. So while there are seven collections at this website, 100radioshows.com. And each one of those uh, collections, Lisa, has how many shows? 100 you shows. Did, she did her math. That's right. Yeah. There'd be 700 altogether. Wow. So you have the option to enjoy the five free radio shows. That's our gift to you. But our other gift to you is the opportunity to get any collection within these 700 shows at 70% off. You can actually get all of the collections at 70% off. Well, all right. Of them, yeah. All of them, one of them, any of them. And yeah. that, again, is a gift to you. But you can only get that if you know the promo code. We 
which is radio, which right. is and apropos. Only our, only our listeners are going to know the promo right. code. Anyone else going to that website will not know the promo code, and they're going to have to pay the full price. But you, our listeners, are special. Use the promo code radio at checkout, save 70%. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, William Bendix stars in The Life of Riley. Stay with us. For news at 10, watch WGN, Micah Mater, Joe Donlin, Dan Roan, and Chicago's most trusted meteorologist, Tom Skilling. For TV News at 10, watch Chicago's very own WGN. All right, Lisa, are you ready for The Life of Riley? I am. You know, we play The Life of Riley every once in a while, yep. but it was a really, really interesting comedy series because it had a, a real genius that created this show, Irving Brecker, and he used to write for Groucho Marx. He used to write movies for Groucho Marx, and he was a um, you know an Emmy Award-winning writer, and he, he had this, uh, this idea for a radio show for his pal, Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx used to say, hey, you know what, Irving Brecker, you're this great writer. Create a radio show for me, right? And so he came up with this idea called the Flotsam Family, where Groucho would play the head of a family, and he had two kids, and, you know, funny things would happen. Situation comedy series. Well, they did an audition record. They shopped it everywhere. Nobody bought it. You would think somebody would buy it with Groucho Marx, right? Yeah, he was but a big Flotsam, movie star. Flotsam, it's, it's, well, it's weird. Yeah, the name Flotsam family. But, you know, Flotsam, you know, floating around and this and that. But you know what? The reason, Irving Brecker told me, the reason why he thought it didn't sell was because nobody could see Groucho Marx as this family man. They saw him as like kind of a kooky character in, you know, Coconuts the movie and Animal Crackers and all these movies. And they didn't see him as like a real kind of flesh and blood, you know, father and husband. So it didn't sell. So he kind of just... You know, put it on the shelf, this whole idea for a radio show. And then years later, he saw a movie with William Bendix in it. Irving Brecker did. Saw William Bendix and thought, now this guy, this this is the right guy for my Flotsam Family series. But they changed the name because, you know, they had shopped it as Flotsam Family. He changed it to The Life of Riley, called the character, uh, you know, Chester A. Riley. And they pitched it and sold they sold it. You know, I wonder if the saying, the life of Riley, you know, you're like, you're living the life of Riley. No, I think... I was think that around already? That was that kind time? of around already, yeah. So living the life of Riley. there was some, com- you know... Yeah, well, I mean, it was a catchy name. Right. Certainly. And uh, William Bendix was great as Chester A. Riley. He was a devoted family man. He was an airplane riveter. Um, and he was just a, a, a lovable kind of goofy guy, right? Well... This series became so popular, it was sponsored by the American Meat Institute, your favorite mm. food. You know, I know mm-hmm. Lisa loves meat. And uh, it was very, very popular. There were movies about the series, and also there was a very popular television series that for the first season starred Jackie Gleason because William Bendix could not get out of a contract with Hal Roach Pictures. So they cast Jackie Gleason in really one of his first television appearances as uh, Chester A. Riley, And then when uh, s- the second season came around, William Bendix became available, and they uh, they put him back into the television series. Was Jackie Gleason a household name at that no, time? No, not I didn't at all. I think so. He was kind of an unknown guy. Right. And that helped launch his career. He was kind of th- much thinner 
in the uh, Life of Riley series. He was younger and thinner, and then he got, you know, gained, gained a little weight. And then before the Honeymooners. Be- before yeah. the Honeymooners, yeah. And, you know, um, but it was it was just a very, very popular series. And then there was this character of, um, you know, this, uh, this undertaker, Digby Odell, the friendly undertaker. And there was always these running gags about the, uh, you know, the mortuary and everything. Very, very funny stuff, as you're going to hear on this episode. Now, let's go back to an early broadcast. October 22nd, 1944, and uh, this was on the Blue Network. This stars William Bendix. It's sponsored by the American Meat Institute. Let's go back to October 22nd, 1944, for The Life of Riley. Here he is, folks. You laughed with him when he played the Marine in the movie Wake Island, and now you're laughing at him in his newest picture, Abroad with Two Yanks. He's Hollywood's magnificent mug. Who's who... a mug? Why, when I was only six, the teacher said I had the brain of a ten-year-old child. And I've still got it. <laughs> the American Meat Institute presents William Bendix in The Life of Riley. The meat people of America, providing a great food for a great nation. Did you know that if all the meat animals handled by America's meatpacking plants in 1944 were loaded into freight cars, they would fill a train more than 18,000 miles long, long enough to reach from New York to Tokyo and back again. That's a lot of meat and a lot of good eating for our fighting forces and you, America. And now, on behalf of all those engaged in supplying meat to the nation, the American Meat Institute presents The Life of Riley. Of course, Chester A. Riley is only one of the thousands of war workers employed by the Stevenson Aircraft Plant. But ever since he straightened out the boss's son, Roswell, by a long overdue spanking, Riley has enjoyed a unique place in the boss's esteem. At the moment, Riley is entering the reception room of the boss's office. Oh, hello, Mr. Riley. Did you want to see Mr. Stevenson? Oh, uh, yeah. The, the boys on my shift are complaining about a loose nut on a ventilator fan. Make so much noise, you can hardly hear yourself rivet. <laughs> well, he's just talking to his wife on the phone, but I guess you can go in. Oh, well, from what I hear about his wife, he might be glad to be interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but listen, Petty. But listen, dear. But, Letitia, I'm busy now. Uh, somebody just came into the office. Sit down, Riley. Oh, thanks, boss. Listen, dear. Something urgent has just come up. It is urgent, isn't it, Riley? No, no, I can wait. Uh, Riley says it's urgent, dear. (laughs) Of course I'm interested in Mimi's happiness. She's my daughter, too, isn't she? But what can I do? Now, listen, dear. That's going too far. I don't care what her husband did at lunch today. Well, what if he does put sugar on his lettuce? For sure. Sugar and vinegar, it's a great dish. Even without the lettuce. If... <laughs> now, Petty, now suppose he did cut it with his knife. What else would he cut it with, a spoon? Uh, <laughs> that's not enough to break up Mimi's marriage, Leticia. Oh, all right, dear, I'll talk to him tonight. Yes, I'll be home right away. Goodbye. Well, Riley, what is it? Uh, there's a nut loose that's making some trouble. 
It's not that bad, Riley. My wife's just high-strung. <laughs> oh, no, the, 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 the nut I mean is on a ventilator fan. Uh, I, I'm sorry to bother you. Now, I, I can see your head's got other things on your mind. Well, <laughs> listen, Riley, let me tell you the whole story. Two years ago, my daughter made a hasty wartime marriage. I've never even seen this boy, Joe, that Mimi married. She met him in a canteen back east, knew him only two months. Then he was shipped out. They were married 15 minutes before they had to say goodbye. What a honeymoon. The bride, the bride and groom in separate places. <laughs> that may be modern, but it'll never be popular. It... <laughs> well, now, Riley, now the boy's back. An honorable discharge. My wife met him for the first time today at lunch. Uh -huh. And she doesn't think he's the right man for Mimi. Well, there's more to being a good husband than how you partake of your grub. Riley, that's what I think. But I'm in a spot. You see, my daughter's on a train coming home from San Francisco. Doesn't even know she's going to see Joe yet. And my wife wants me to see him first and persuade him to, well, give Mimi up. No kidding. Yeah. And now that she's met him... Well, she just can't see why our daughter ever married him. Uh, Mr. Stevenson, if nobody ever married nobody except somebody somebody else thought somebody ought to marry, nobody'd get married to nobody. <laughs> and where would their children be? <laughs> Riley, I wish you could meet this boy and size him up. You're a down-to-earth fellow. You see deeper than what a man's table manners are and... Say. Say what? Riley. Why don't you have dinner at my house tonight? Meet this boy. And then we'll both decide what I ought to say to him. Me? Oh, no, thanks, boss. But, Riley, I just want your opinion. But, boss, this is your daughter. You, you, you better leave me out of it. I don't want to be the godfather in no divorce case. <laughs> Hello? Uh, hello, Dumplin'. Are you, dear? Well, I'm at the boss's house. I'm, I'm going to have dinner here. Really? Why? Well, I'll, I'll tell you when I get home. Listen, honey, you ought to see this joint. It's just like in the movies. Mmm, my, I'll bet you'll have a lovely dinner. Yeah, I peeked in at the dining room table. You should see all the tools they give you to eat with. <laughs> Dr. Gillespie ain't got that many knives. Oh, quiet, dear. Someone will hear you. Oh, no, that's okay. Mr. Stevenson is upstairs talking to his wife. Well, kiss Babs for me and shake hands with Junior. I'll try to handle things till you get back, dear. But Babs isn't here. Is she out again? You know I don't want her out after dark alone. But she's not alone. She's with that new boy who lives down the street. I've heard about that boy. I'd rather she was alone. <laughs> Peg, I don't like this about Babs running with new boys. Any boy she goes with, I want to talk to first. You, Mr. Stevenson? My name is Joe Bean. No, I'm Bascom the butler. This way, Mr. Bean. Mr. Stevenson asked that you go directly into the drawing room. He's been expecting you. You go down this hall and turn left. So, like I say, honey, no daughter of mine is going to get mixed up with no nobody. Yes, dear, don't get so excited. Bella, father can't be too careful. Think of who you might have married if you hadn't married me. <laughs> yes, dear. Well, okay, Dumplin', I'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. Uh, Oh, uh, good evening, sir. Huh? Oh, good evening. Oh, butler said for me to come on into the drawing room. Well, you're in it. Yes, sir. I heard you talking on the telephone. Huh? 
I don't blame you for feeling the way you do about your daughter. Oh, you know her? Huh? Why, yes, sir. Like you said, maybe I am kind of a nobody. Well, I wouldn't jump over conclusions like that. You look okay to me. I do. You mean it's all right with you for us to be married? Married? You asking me to marry my daughter? Well, we are married. Didn't you know it? Married? You got the nerve to come... Uh, no, it ain't so. She, she wouldn't get married until she told me. Not Babs. Babs? Her name's not Babs. I know my own girl's name. Yes, sir, but I know my own wife's name. I always call her Mimi. What right do you got to change Babs' name to Mimi? Uh, uh, wait a minute. Mimi, are you married to Mimi Stevenson? Why, well, yes, sir. I'm Joe Bean. Oh, what a relief. <laughs> Babs is still single. <laughs> For a minute, I was on the way to being a grandfather. <laughs> Riley's my name. Uh, Mr. Stevenson will be right down. He'll be glad to see you, Joe. I'm not so sure about that. I've been thinking maybe I couldn't make Mimi as happy as I want her to be. Well, how do you know until you try? Oh, I sure would like to try. She's so fine. She's beautiful, too. For two years, ever since I shipped out, all I thought about was her. I even marked off the days on the side of my plane till I could be with her again. Well, now you're here. Yeah. Sure did get me a surprise when I met Mimi's mother. Well, yeah, that, that's one thing about marriage. You, eventually, you run into your mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. See, I was raised on a ranch in Texas, and my folks is just good, hard-working people, and I never was in a house like this before in all of my life. <laughs> Neither was I. Did you ever see such thick rugs? The nap is so long, sometimes I can't find my feet. <laughs> the way these folks live. Yeah. Mamie never told me about having so much money, and I, I haven't got any. So what? Rich people get gout. Of course, I could support Mamie somehow, but not like her father did. Why, guess Mrs. Stevenson gave you that idea, huh? Yes, she did. She said I ought to give Mamie her freedom before I spoiled her life. So I thought about it, and, well, I certainly wouldn't want to ruin Mamie's life. What's all this about ruining my daughter's life? Oh, uh... Uh, my name is Bean, sir. Joe Bean. Uh, uh well, <clears throat> my name's Stevenson. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, boss, meet your son-in-law. Uh, <laughs> Joe, meet your wife's old man. I, 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 How are you? Pleasure. Uh, Joe here's been telling me he don't know about being able to make Mimi happy and... Oh, be... indeed. Well, Bean, if you don't have confidence in yourself, perhaps Mimi's mother's right. Be best to call it off. Well, maybe. I sure do want Mimi to be happy. I'm so mixed up, I can't think. Boss, if you don't mind me yelling from the bleachers, it, it seems to me that Mimi ought to have a say in all this someplace. Granny, I guess you're right. Mimi just phoned. She'll be here in half an hour. Oh, well, okay. Now, I, I got something to say. You, you sit down, Mr. Stevenson. You too, Joe. And just remember, Joe, marriage is an old and honorable institution. And nobody's escaping from the institution till I'm through talking. <laughs> Well, just what story can Riley tell that could possibly keep Joe's very shaky marriage to Mimi from going on the rocks? Well, we'll find out in just a moment. In the meantime, this is Ken Niles carrying the ball for your meatpacking industry. This evening, the subject of my 60-second speech is time. Time, the name of a news magazine. 
Time, the thing you can't turn back. Time is money. And time is rule one, page one of braising meat. Braising cuts of beef are point-free. They're lean and flavorsome. They're rich in proteins. But it takes time, T-I-M-E, to cook those glistening brown pieces of tender-eating meat. It takes time to bring out that golden gravy. It takes time to transform those braising cuts into pleasant pieces of tender-eating meat. So give them a break, ladies, by giving them time. And your family will be rewarded with something really extra special in meat-eating. The real value of longer braising time, however, is that it's under lower cooking heat, where meat retains nearly all its high nutritional value. Slow and easy does it in braising meat. And lest you forget, those high-quality proteins of meat are in the braising cuts of beef, just as they are in all cuts of meat. Meat measures up to every protein need. That's why meat is a yardstick of protein foods. And now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Only a few seconds have passed since we left Riley, his boss, Mr. Stevenson, and Joe Bean, the boss's new son-in-law, in the drawing room at the magnificent Stevenson home. Riley is about to launch into a story which he hopes will prevent the breakup of Joe Bean's marriage to Mr. Stevenson's daughter, Mimi. Well, fellas, this story I'm going to tell you is about love. And, strange enoughly, it's got a boy and girl in it, too. This all happened quite a while ago to a guy I know named, uh, named Riley. Riley? Why, that's your name. Yeah, uh, that, ain't that a coaccident? <laughs> yep. Well, this fellow Riley was about 21, and he'd fell for this wonderful girl, see? He'd give her a whirlwind wound for three years and finally swept her off her feet. He thought his troubles was all over, but they was just starting. It's your trussome, gruesome pal, Jelly Kelly. Well, good morrow, Mr. Kelly. Uh, don't give me that Mr. Treatment, Riley. Just because you're marrying into society. I go straight in a pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, Riley, I hope you don't go highbrow. There's an ugly rumor going around that your fiancée has been correcting your grandma on you. Oh, yeah, well, she ain't. I, I, I mean, she aren't. I... Hey, hey. Hey, Riley. What's the idea wearing a new suit on a weekday? Oh, well, well, this here suit is my trousseau. I'm breaking it in today for the wedding next week. How do I look, eh? Oh, you look great. Eh? But don't go past no undertaking, parlor, or they'll give you an estimate. <laughs> Very chucklesome. Uh, got a date with your pain in the neck to be? Well, no, with her uncle, Quincy Turnbull. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I ain't never met him, but he, he writes me this here letter saying that he'd come all the way from Boston to have a chat with me. A what? A chat. I, I guess in Boston, people don't talk to each other. They just chat. <laughs> uh, uh, where are you going to chatter with him? Well, he said to meet him at four o'clock at the Hotel Royal for tea. Riley, you're drinking tea? Well, oh, we lost you completely. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Riley, 
As Margaret's uncle on the maternal side, our branch of the family insisted that I interview her fiancé before it was too late. <laughs> Would you care for some more tea and crumpets, young man? Uh, no thanks, Mr. Turnbull. I'm full up. I, I drank so much tea I can feel them trumpets I ate floating around. <laughs> crumpets, young man. Oh, yeah, excuse me. I ain't used to this fancy society stuff. I can see that. <laughs> now, uh, as to your financial status, Riley, my niece has been distressingly vague as to your business. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of sort of in a, in, a, in a trucking business. Oh, the trucking business. Yeah. Well, that's an expanding field. Are you alone in this venture? Oh, no, sir. I, I got two horses to help me. <laughs> horses? You mean you drive a horse-drawn truck? That's right. I, I inherited the job from my father. <laughs> you might say I'm following in my father's hoof prints. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. trust that the material compensation for such a prosaic vocation is commensurately remunerative. Would you care for another shot of tea, Uncle Quincy? <laughs> I mean, how much money do you make? Oh, money? Well, I'm, I'm doing okay. I, I take home 14 bucks a week per week each week. <laughs> 14 a week? Mm -hmm. And you consider that an adequate income to support the woman you love? And, shall we say, hope to marry? Well, wait a minute. Let, let's say the woman I'm going to marry and hope to love. <laughs> oh, my poor niece. Riley, it's a mistake. Let's face it. But I'm, I'm crazy about her, and she... Well, she, she likes me, too. She, she wouldn't be marrying me. But, my rash young man, how can you support a family on $14 a week? Well, it's true. I'm, I'm only making 14 now, but, but we love each other, and I'll work hard for Peg. I'm, I'm ambitious. But ambition isn't enough to bridge the gulf between you and my niece. You're from different worlds. Your manners, your clothes, your speech, your poverty. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen, ain't I? <laughs> Think, Riley. Think hard. Is what you're doing fair to her? No. Well, leave me answer my own answers. <laughs> you, you think it ain't fair to marry Peg unless I make more money? I see her in poverty. Too proud to ask her own people for help. I see her wincing at your sordid home. Wearing her youth away in a vain fight to make ends meet. Losing her looks. Her spirit. Well, gosh, I wouldn't want to do that to Peg. It's not too late, Riley. Huh? You say you love her. Then why not do the decent thing? Go to her. Tell her you can't support her in style. Oh, she wouldn't believe me. No, no, she wouldn't believe you if she thought you still wanted to marry her. But suppose you went to her right now and told her you wanted to be free. Huh? Listen, my boy. Remember, this is for her sake. Now, I have a plan.
Craig, I've been doing something I never done before. I've been thinking. Have you, dear? What about? Well, about us, Peg. I, I gotta face the facts in the face. I. Riley, I, did your meeting with my uncle Quincy start this this thinking? Oh no, no, honest. Listen, darling. I, I mean, Peg. Here I am, a happy fella. Oh, you don't look very happy. It's your wedding tomorrow, not your funeral. Here I am, a, a happy fella with no worries and a and a cool fourteen bucks a week, all my own, outright. Oh. <laughs> I see. And, and, and that ain't all. I, I'm just a big mug, honey. I, 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 I ain't the marrying kind, I guess. Now, I, I come to ask you to, to... I can't say it, Peg, but you understand? Yes, I think I do. Riley, can you look me in the eye and tell me you don't love me? No, you can't. Nobody lets me answer my own answers. You're not fooling me, Chester Riley. I've heard my uncle talk before. The big bluff. Well, gosh, he, he, he could be right, Peg. I, I don't want you getting old and tired washing and cooking and darning my socks on a hot stove. <laughs> All right, Chester. If, if this is goodbye, I, I can't hold you. Well... Could I... Could I kiss you before I go, Peg? Well, just once before you go. Peg. Peg, I... Goodbye, Peg. Chester. Yeah? Now let me kiss you goodbye. Peg. Darling. <laughs> Goodbye, darling. Maybe you're being too hasty about this. <laughs> you... You don't want to call it off? I... I never did, and, and you know it. But... But money, I, I ain't got any... In... Oh, money! Wait just a minute. Oh, here. Take this. What's this for? It's my investment in you. To show you that I believe in you. And want you. Give this two dollars to the preacher tomorrow. Huh? Oh. Oh, no. No, nothing doing. Married people are partners. You ain't paying my way. Here, here's a dollar back. Here they come. Yeah, let me zoo those shoes. I'm the bride's up. Yeah, well, I'll call the bride. Duck Dumplin' and we'll wind up at a rice pudding. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Uh, who hit my head with a hollow shoe? <laughs> well, Mr. Riley, how do you feel? Fine, Mrs. Riley. Enjoying your honeymoon? Oh, I've never been so happy. Oh, look, down what? there, water. A fortune teller said I'd marry and take a journey over water. Well, it come true. We're journeying over the East River. <laughs> over the Brooklyn Bridge. Darling, you've kept it such a secret, but where are we going on, on our honeymoon? Sweetheart, 
As far from Brooklyn as my money will take us. We're going to Manhattan. Dear, do all boarding houses have steep stairs like these? Yeah, but, but not as steep as these. That's the first time I ever climbed a ladder with a carpet on it. <laughs> uh, here's the door to... To our bridal suite. Only it's just one room. Number 13. <laughs> our first home. Yeah. Let me open the door, dear. <laughs> it's... It's dark in there. Well, yeah, well... You, you stay here. I'll, I'll go over and pull up the window shade. It's darker with the shade up. <laughs> I, 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 it'll look better when I like to guess. There. It's... It's lovely, dear. I'm afraid it ain't much like your... your old room at home. Oh, it... It doesn't matter, dear. Now we're married, you'll get ahead, and soon you'll get a raise, and then you'll... Sure I will, but... It may take a little time. You see, when I... When I told my boss I wanted the day off to get married, I, I got fired. Fired? Yeah. Ain't that ironical? <laughs> well, never mind, dear. We're married now. We have each other and roof over our heads. Yeah. Yeah, we, we couldn't start no poorer, so we kind of get richer. <laughs> Bet we will. Well, let's go into our our room. Our room. Gosh, Peg. Pick me up, dear, and carry me over the threshold. Are you that tired, darling? <laughs> oh no, it's luck, dear, to carry the bride over the threshold of a new home. Oh yeah. Well, here goes. Into our new life together. That's how it started, fellas. We started out in life with a nest egg of nothing. Oh, uh, so this Riley was you? Well, sure, Joe, me and my wife. We're still married, too. Well, what about a rich Uncle Quincy? Oh, Uncle Quincy, oh, he's, he's doing fine. Every month I send him his allowance, five bucks and six tea bags. <laughs> Riley? Riley, I'm glad you told us your story. You see, Joe, my boy, it's the kind of thing that happens here, a real epic of America. The Rileys are living happily ever after. You and Mimi? Well, you're no poorer than Riley was, huh? No, sir. I'll take a chance. It, it all depends on Mimi. We haven't seen each other for two years, and maybe... Maybe she won't want me anymore. And it... Where is he? Oh, where is he? Joe, Joe! Mimi, gosh, oh, come here, will you? Oh, Joe, darling, darling, darling. Hey, Mr. Stevenson. Huh? They're going to get along okay. Huh? If I know the signs, them two are start another optic of America. <laughs> Come on, let's scram. Scram? Uh, 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 what for? Don't you ever go to the movies, boss? Whoa. You ought to know when a boy and girl go into a clinch like that when it's time to leave. Come on.
The Rileys will be right back. And now, for another moment, it's Ken Niles on the subject of breakfast. You know, when Mrs. Niles sets out a real morning meal, I feel as though I could lick ten wildcats and my radio job with one hand tied behind my back. And by good breakfast, I mean meat in the morning, bacon, ham, or sausage. And I know there's plenty of reason for that feeling. Bacon, ham, and sausage are all fine ways to get morning energy. And the meaty lean is a source of highest type proteins. Everybody needs those proteins. And meat is a most satisfying way to get exactly the right kind for every bodily protein requirement. Yes, meat is a yardstick of protein foods because meat measures up to every protein need. And may we add, all nutritional statements about meat on this program are accepted by the Council on Foods and Nutrition of the American Medical Association. Yeah, Dumplin', I, I done it by telling them about us. Oh, Riley. All about how poor we were. Well, I dressed it up a little so it wouldn't be too grim. Oh. I, I didn't tell them my wedding suit was rented. <laughs> and the guy I rented it from followed us on our honeymoon to watch his property. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Riley. <laughs> Anyhow, later in the evening when Mrs. Stevenson saw the way them kids looked at each other, she, she kind of defrosted her heart. I'm sure those kids are going to be okay. Oh, bless their hearts. I hope they'll be as happy as... as we've been. Well, they can't expect that. After all, the bride ain't as pretty as you are, Peg, and the groom ain't as romantic as me. (laughs) (laughs) The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix and sponsored by the American Meat Institute, will be back next week at the same time. William Bendix appears on this program by arrangement with Hal Roach. The part of Joe Bean was played by Barton Yarborough. The Life of Riley was directed by Don Bernard with music by Lou Kozloff and came to you from Hollywood. Ken Niles saying, see you next week. This is the Blue Network. 7.30 KECA Los Angeles. Transcribed. And that's The Life of Riley from October 22nd, 1944. The Boss's Son-in-Law is the title of that episode. William Bendix as Chester A. Riley. Also in that cast, you heard Paula Winslow as his lovable wife, Peg. Also, uh, Ken Christie, Barton Yarborough. We heard Dink Trout. And John Brown was uh, Digby O'Dell. And also his uh, next-door neighbor. Um, you know, he played both roles on that. And hope you enjoyed the life of Riley. I sure did. Did I you? I sure did too. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Well, Lisa, August 1st of this year. You're going to be somewhere special, Carl? Well, I'm going to be with you Are and you? your husband. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think I'm going to bring my daughter. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to Which I'm one? Gonna... Rachel. Okay. Yeah, I think Rachel's going to go with me. And so we're going on a cruise. We're going to go to Bermuda. I know. Oh, man. What is this going to really happen? It'll be like 85 degrees every day. It's going to be beautiful ocean. We're going to Bermuda. And it uh, sails out of New York City. And it's going to be a great time. Seven nights. And it's on Oceana, which is one of the best cruise lines. It's very luxurious. Very luxurious. Um, And it's really known 
for its wonderful food and entertainment. And besides the food, which I know that you appreciate, and the casino, which I know that you appreciate, um, we're going to have... I'm going to bring $5 to spend Oh, that's good. Five whole dollars. How long will that last, Media? It won't last you past your first drink out of the pool. (laughs) (laughs) No, everything is inclusive. I know this is um, going to be a fantastic trip, but we not only are going to have the entertainment of the Oceana Cruise Line and the sightseeing of Bermuda, we are going to make this a classic radio cruise. So we are going to add some of our own entertainment, which is going to be our special classic radio cruise cocktail party. And we're going to have trivia contests and we're going to do a reenactment and we are going to spend time getting to know our listeners. So it's a really great combination of relaxation and luxury and exploration and classic radio fun. I'll tell you what, this is going to be a blast. Don't miss it, folks. If you are going to take a vacation anyway, come with us August 1st for seven nights on our trip to Bermuda. The best way to learn more about it is to call our travel agency. They're giving us a wonderful group rate. Um, don't wait. It's going quickly. Check it out. This is Keen Luxury Travel, K-E-E-N-E, Luxury Travel. Their number is 800 856 1155. That's 800 856 1155. Right. Or you can go to our website, WGNRadioTheater.com. Go there and just scroll down a little bit. There's a banner for our cruise. You can click it and it has all of the itinerary there. But you want to talk to the people over at Keene Luxury Travel because they can walk you through everything and explain everything and answer all your questions. But we do have a super, super rate. And uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Make sure you're with us uh, August 1st. It's not that far it's off. It's this year, 2020. I have my uh, I have my bathing suits all ready to go. Oh, good. You've got them all laid out? All my Speedos. Oh, good. I'm like, sure your daughter have, will be proud. <laughs> I have 17 Speedos. So I'm going to wear like three each day. <laughs> On top of each other, one at a time. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... It's a good visual. It's going to be a lot of fun. It and, is. And you know what? I'm going to eat a lot of food. I know you are. I am going to eat a lot of food. And I'm going to gamble, bringing $5 to gamble. I think that sounds like a good number. (laughs) It sounds good. All right. Well, we're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning. And we are not being preempted next week, next Saturday. So next Saturday, we will have um, some great classic radio shows for you. You bet your life. Right, Lisa? That's right. We've got... Start out. That's right. And then we've got Whitehall 1212. We've got The Lives of Harry Lime. Father Knows Best, and we will end with Gunsmoke. Wow. All right. So join us next Saturday, 10 p.m. We'll be right here on the WGN Radio Theater. Thanks to Mike Costello, our executive producer. Thanks to Shante Garth, our producer. And to Dan Long. He is uh, the man around here. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in.